is Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer, with your host, Mr. Gameplay Goodness himself, Stevie Stroud. All right, so we're live, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Coco Talk number, is it 16 now? It's hard to, it's hard to keep up with this. So, and Rick Adams, pleasure to have you back, sir. And, Hello, can uh, you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. We can hear you. Oh, good. Hey, Rick. Yeah? Is your, is your uh, new laptop working well? Uh, we're working on it. <laughs> Four billion things to install. Yeah, yeah. Get it just how you like it. Going through that right now, too, on my PC. Uh, yeah, so we're back. Week number 16. Uh, we've. It's hard to believe that we've been doing this for 16 weeks now. And every week I always wonder, are we going to run out of things to talk about? And lucky for us, that doesn't seem to happen. And it seems like each week we end up getting uh, sometimes uh, new people, like we have today on our call. Kind of our guest of honor today is going to be Jay Cyril. How are you, Jay? I'm good. How's everybody? Good, good, good. So um, Jay is going to be our primary presenter today, and one of the things that Jay is going to talk about is um, Mess UI and some of the cool things you can do specifically with the Mess UI or the MAME UI for Coco stuff. So we looked, we've been looking at MAME and we've been talking about MAME, and um, so when we say MAME and we say Mess, at this point we're really talking about the same thing, although you can create your own custom strain if you want to. But right now, if you download the latest version of MAME, MAME and MESS are a combined product and you can be they can be used to run arcade machines, retro computers, and retro consoles. And so it's a one-stop shop for vintage emulation. Um, we've been talking about this a lot. Uh, it's really become a lot more interesting to a lot more people since we started with the speech sound pack emulation. Um, those who are into doing assembly programming probably appreciate the debugger and um, as nice as MAME is there are some things about MAME that make it somewhat awkward to use and so hopefully some of the tips and tricks and tweaks that Jay is going to show us will make MAME with the UI a little bit more user-friendly and then on top of that Jay was also going to show us uh, some debugging stuff too which might be of interest to again those who especially are doing assembly programming. So that's going to be our main presentation today. So thanks um, Jay for volunteering to do that with us. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Much appreciated. Um, my other cast of characters, my uh, bevy of beauties is none other than L <laughs> Curtis Boyle and Richard Cavell and Mark Overholzer and Simon Jonasson and David Ladd and Bill Noble and Rick Adams. Thank you all for being here. I can't thank you enough for always joining us and giving us something to talk about and being part of the show. Much appreciated. You can thank us by paying us more. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Remind me to double what I'm paying you now. <laughs> no, so the same raise we got last time. Sounds yes, good. Yes, yes, yes. And right now, uh, according to the internet, we have nine people watching us live right now, so that's kind of cool. And, uh, yeah, so what's been going on in your worlds this week, everybody? What have you done this week? What's been interesting? Uh, it doesn't even have to be retro-related, but if it is retro-related, that's even the better. So who's got a story they want to share? On, on... I do. Go ahead, Mark. Okay, uh, that cocoa I got shipped off uh, a couple weeks ago, and it finally arrived in Italy with Matteo. And he uh, he actually posted it on the Coco uh, group on uh, Facebook. Yeah. So he's all excited. 
So we're working on a for interactive fiction uh, uh, contest. So we're working on a, something. So anyway, uh, let's see. Beyond that, oh yes, I joined your realm, and uh, we've laid a lot of rail. Yes, I've noticed that. Yeah, I'm I'm switching over right now to the Facebook group, and so let's see if we can find Mateo's picture. We we will talk about Facebook later on too. Um, and it looks like Bruce Moore has just here it is. So here's Mateo showing off some of his pictures. So you talked about this last week, Mark, how you had cleaned this up for him two weeks ago, was it? And um, so this is now, and he's in uh, Italy. Yeah, um, uh, Venice. Venice. Okay. So this is his Coco connected to a television, and uh, this is what you sent him. So what exactly did you say you did? You upgraded it to 64K. Yeah, it had and, 60, and uh, yeah, it's a socketed CPU, so I put in a 6309, sent him the original processor and the, and the original RAM, but also upgraded to 64K. Very nice, very nice. Did it have extended basic already? Or, or? Yeah, it did. It had extended basic already. Yeah, it was nice. Multi-key keyboard. Uh, the extended basic nice. is So yeah, it's a nice little Coco 2 now. Uh, John Mark Mobley has joined us. Hey, John, from the Glenside Color Computer Club. Pleasure to have you. Uh, John, if you're able to add me on Skype and you want to call in on Skype, we'd love to have you as part of the call as well. John, um, I know last week we showed off the newsletter, which was uh, phenomenal, and I finished listening to last week's podcast, so John was uh, featured on the podcast. It was great to hear him there on the show. Um, yeah, so that's cool, Mark. Thanks for doing that, and it's really nice when we can do things for members of the community and uh, help each other out, so that was kind of cool. Yep. And it was, it was nice to hear about it on the talk and then see the final, you know, outcome on Facebook when it arrives and people post their pictures, you know? Yep. And Grant oh. just mentioned in the chat that he got his Coco 3 uh, yesterday and it's up and running too. So There we go, Grant. Uh, feel free to call us in on Skype if you'd like, Grant. Yeah, I actually sent that to Grant, and so he got that up and running, and um, that's cool. <laughs> That was part of my haul since I have like a spare Coco 3 or 2 trying to do some friends and family uh, deals to keep us off of eBay, you know, extortion and uh, you your know, addiction. You're yeah, and you're kind of playing Russian roulette when you buy it if it's even going to work sometimes. So um, that was cool. That's great to hear. It's nothing more exciting than, hey, you got your Coco 3 yet? <laughs> <laughs> was it a 128 or a 639? Yeah, it's a stock 128. Stock 128? Yeah. Um, I have I have one that does have 512, but I can't get it to power on, and I don't have time to troubleshoot it right now. So that'll be a hard. Maybe we'll do a hardware segment at some point in time, and we'll do try to do a live uh, diagnostic and repair of the Coco. <laughs> <laughs> it's like playing the game Operation. As long as the light doesn't go off and nothing buzzes, then <laughs> anybody else have anything to share on what their week has been like uh, in the real world or in the retro world? I've just been swamped with work. It's I'm in rush season now officially, so I killed off five jobs this weekend. I'm back up to twelve already for the weekend. So <laughs> not a lot of cocoa stuff going on. You're losing the. Sorry. You're losing the battle. Losing well, my work's seasonal. It's it's really busy for about six months a year in two chunks of about three months, and then it's not too bad at all the other six months. And this just happens to be I'm in the busy season. So. Right. I know Rick was on vacation. We got to see a lot of Rick's um, tra world traveling adventures on Facebook. <laughs> yep. My uh, 
the first time I'd seen any of that stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, Yellowstone and uh, uh, Mount Rushmore. Yep, never seen that before. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and I was just down there myself just a couple of couple of years ago, so it was, it was kind of nice. Uh, <clears throat> you went in a better time. I went in winter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I and then I came seen... back, and, and then I promptly killed my laptop, so ah. I had to replace that. <laughs> it's interesting, some of the uh, offline discussions that we have when we're not doing a Cocoa Talk, This uh, <laughs> the things the things we hear and see sometimes, and the, the, the death of the laptop saga as it uh, unveiled. Uh, Nicole's watching us in the live chat. Hello, Nicole. How are you? Uh, Alan Zeiser is here. Hello, Alan. Uh, Alexander Wallace is here. Hi, Alexander. Um, hello, everybody who's watching us live. We appreciate you being oh. here. Um, cool stuff. Oh. Yeah, so I, you know, when we went to do, by the way, last week's show, I really enjoyed uh, the Pac-Man transcode, seeing the game and hearing all about that. Um, trying to get ready for that show is when I discovered that... Um, my analog capture stuff wasn't working anymore. And somehow, you know, I had recently reformatted my computer to Windows 10. And at some point in time, something went sideways and none of my analog capture devices worked. So I had to re-nuke my computer again. So I think I did that on Monday this week. And it's been a slow process getting all my software reinstalled and all your... It's it's like, it's a, it's a project to get a PC back to where it was. You know, you can spend a while getting everything set up. And then when you got to start over, it's it's a project, you know. Yep. yep. Did, you, did you reinstall Windows Seven? No, 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 no. I just reinstalled Windows Ten again because, <laughs> <laughs> well, for better or for worse, you know, Windows Ten has uh, some other features that I like that ties me into my Xbox and things like that. So, what's um, Cortana? No, it's just there's an Xbox app that lets me actually stream my Xbox from the living room to my PC. So whenever I play Xbox and I do YouTube videos from my Xbox, I actually stream it to my PC and then stream my PC to the Internet. So I can actually leave my Xbox in another room. I just find find Windows 10 a bit bit bloated at the end of the day. And if if you're doing a lot of stuff in DOS prompt, well, there literally is no DOS prompt. Right, well... Yeah, so that's been my struggle this week is getting my computer back to where it used to work, and I think we're finally there now. So, um, and of course, Fourth of July. Everybody have a good Fourth of July. Yeah. Yeah, we had a great First of July. First of July. <laughs> How does that <laughs> work? Canada's hundred so. fiftieth birthday. So yeah, yeah, yeah the big that's cool. That's cool. How we celebrate our rebellion and. Uh, Treason from the uh, yeah. From the, happy Treason the, Day. I, I happy didn't see that on Facebook. Day. Yeah. <laughs> happy British Rebellion Day. So uh, it's a great day to um, Yanks. No. <laughs> you know, no, nothing's more American than um, you know using Chinese fireworks to, <laughs> <laughs> to celebrate your independence because America. <laughs> so. Yeah. And uh, Jay, since you're new to the call, why don't you tell us a little bit about your Cocoa history, what you've done in the past, if anything, and then like what kind of projects you're working on now and, and what got you inspired to want to share this with, share us, this today. with us today? Uh, well, uh, I guess I'm pretty much like uh, you know anybody, I guess, our general age. I had a Cocoa 
two uh, 16 kilobyte when I was, I'm going to say about 14 maybe. And uh, never really did much more than basic with it. Back then, as most of you probably are aware, there you know it was not easy to get information on assembly or how it worked or how to do it and uh, you know the cart to do it and all that kind of stuff. So I never really got into it back then. And then uh, kind of moved on to Windows like everybody else and, uh, and PCs and such. And, and uh, then uh, I kind of went away from you know, Cocoa stuff for a long time. Finally got, started collecting about a year ago, um, different hardware. I have uh, all kinds of stuff, a bunch of Cocoa stuff, Apple II stuff, Commodore 64, 128, Apple II GSs, all kinds of stuff I've collected and related hardware. I'm sure most of us have, but, but, yep. Um, so anyway, uh, I actually started using the using Cocoa, the Cocoa again, uh, once I had gotten one and, uh, kind of just looking around on the internet i knew about assembly was kind of looking at that and kind of figuring all that out and i stumbled upon uh, i can't remember exactly where if it was your stuff you were doing i think there was something before that maybe that i was kind of watching that kind of got me thinking about it again i've been watching your uh talks probably for about a month now maybe month and a half uh you know actually watching you know sitting down and watching it versus just kind of checking in here and there like you do with some things and uh yeah so that's pretty much the story. I guess as far as projects go, um, this week I was working most of the week night shifts, so I'm turning around from that for next week. But uh, got everything going, I believe, for the presentation today. That was what my project for the week was, pretty much. And I'm also working on a, a Java-based, um, basically a sprite creator that hopefully I can get to work that would be able to allow you to draw a sprite in... Uh, a defined, yeah, a defined uh, pixel size that you might want to draw one in, and then have it export the uh, necessary assembly code to be able to put that into a program to be able to draw it in a given uh, graphics mode. So, working on that, that's going. Actually, you haven't got it real far on that. Mostly UI and a little bit of code to tie everything together. But, uh, and then the other project I'm thinking about, which uh, is a long, probably, project that's going to take me a while to even figure out where I'm going, but uh, I'm thinking about um, working on a um, Williams Arcade, I won't call it a transcode because they're already 6809, but I guess a port maybe be the best word, to the Coco. Um, but uh, like I said, that's something that's kind of a dream right now. I'm just thinking about it and trying to kind of get my head around what would even be required to do that. So Neat. That's uh, that's where I'm at at the moment, though. Hello, this is Grant Leedy with Coco Talk. Got your Coco Three yet? Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's me. It's Original Gamer Stevie Stro. You know, gameplay goodness. To get your very gameplay own goodness. gameplay goodness DVDs yeah, featuring goodness. color computer All games right. played by the original gamer Stevie Stro, visit 8bit256.com and grab yourself a Coco Gaming DVD today. That's 8bit256.com for all of your gameplay goodness needs. Very cool. Well, anytime you want to take over and share your screen and start showing us what you want to show us, I think we've done a nice little warm-up introduction right now. So if you want to go ahead and take it away, uh, okay. feel free to. See, uh, at which one I want to share here. You guys, which one you guys get? Uh, let's see. I think I got the wrong one. 
Hang on. <laughs> I see <laughs> the Windows flag of treason. <laughs> That's an awfully ugly Mac logo. <laughs> so, do you guys have a blank screen or a desktop? Yes, desktop? we have a blank. We have a blank screen right now. Uh, I have two monitors, and this thing is uh, on the wrong virtual one. What's that? On the wrong virtual one. Yeah, I see that. Let's try that. How about that? There we go. We got Excellent. lots of pretty okay. icons. There we go. That's what I was looking for. So. Uh, so basically, what I thought I'd do is, uh, there we go. So, uh, basically what I'm going to do today is basically just a, if everybody doesn't know, there's a mess, mess UI and there's also a MAME UI. So Steve was talking earlier about MAME being a unified system now, which is true as far as the um, code that comes actually from the MAME uh, development itself. But there is a mess UI and there's also a MAME UI. And they are split between computers and arcade hardware, essentially. The um, Mess UI is uh, specifically uh, around for computers, and it's also updated. It's currently uh, 187 MAME and 187 Mess UI. The uh, MAME UI I played with a little bit just to, because uh, I was messing around with the Williams uh, arcade hardware just to see how it worked. And uh, that is not as up to date, so there's potential that you could have some feature uh, lag or whatever if you were trying to use that. But uh, in any case, we're going to be using the Mess UI here today. So I just uh, have on my browser here just for people um, if they're wondering where we go to get these things. This is uh, mamedev.org. This is the this official MAME uh, you know, place to go and get MAME things. I'm using Windows. I know it's a cringe of some of you, but uh, I've been uh, Windows forever, so that's pretty much. I tried going to Linux, and it's like trying to learn DOS again. So I, I've kind of I was just joking off. about that myself. I, I use all <laughs> all of them. So so okay. Yeah, I know a lot of people are hard. Are, like, I work with a lot of people that are diehard Linux people, and I'm just like, man, I just it's like learning another language again, you know. So I really haven't dived uh, dove into it yet. But anyway, you get onto here. I'm not going to download them again because I already have them. Um, but obviously, you're going to. 32-bit or 64-bit, and there's other, uh, like I said, it's supported on all the major platforms, so you can get that. Um, go over to MessUI. What's, what's the link for MessUI? Why don't you copy and paste that into Skype chat, and I'll put it into the YouTube chat. Uh, you're way, way beyond my knowledge level, Steve. You want me to go paste this? Copy. Copy and paste into yeah, um, Skype. Con so Control-C is copy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I got that, thanks. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what Control-Paste uh, what control paste is, though. You're going to have to Google that. You one. don't just hit right-click and then click that go the copy? <laughs> hey, hey, as long as it's it. not focused on me. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. taking some, deflecting some of your uh, pain right now. I don't know if that went in or not, Steve. Let me yeah, know. Yeah, I that got it. Up. Okay, good. I got it, and I'll put it in the YouTube chat. YouTube chat. Excellent. Uh, so that's the. This is the Mess UI uh, page. If you type Mess UI into Google, it's the first thing that pops up. So you can obviously Google it and get it that way. But anyway, you come down here. Uh, it's going to tell you that if you want to download the Mess UI, you obviously want to have Mess first because because it's useless with just the front end. So. Uh, so you want to get your most current right now. The one eight seven is the most current, and obviously uh, you want to get your you know sixty four thirty two bit preferred, depending on what 
you were using. Now, the other thing to mention here is you won't see any Linux or Mac stuff because this is Windows only. So if you're not using a Windows machine, this will not be of use. Uh, uh, the rest, of, the rest of this piece. So, um, so anyway, you want to get your mess. You want to get your mess UI link, which is this guy here, and this and one, this one, me, me. And like I said, I'm not going to download them again because I already have them. Uh, right, can I ask a you a quick place. dumb question? Sure, go ahead. If you download the mess UI, does that already also have the mess binary included with it, or does it have to be coupled with the binary you download from the main dev site? Uh, I'm going to get in. You'll see that when I get into the more of the actual interesting part of the presentation. But yeah, you need to have both. But the mess UI will basically gets pushed into the mess um, uh, folder, if you want to call it that, and it works out of there. So, and it knows it knows when you put it in there, it can find all the mess stuff and knows where everything is. So it's pretty pretty neat that way. Um, there is a page here on setting up mess UI. You can go through that and do it, but it's not much beyond the standard mess setup that you'll find to make your career, uh, configuration file, set up some stuff in the ini file. And I'll show where all that is in the folder, but this is all pretty standard stuff to do for setting up mess that you'll find anywhere. The only specific thing to mess UI, mess UI any, which I'll show you guys when we get there as well, has you verify this column order is the right order and that there's no duplicates. Otherwise, it screws up the way the, the presentation of the screen is. So you'll see that as well. Um, I also have the Color Computer Archive, which I'm sure all you guys are aware of. Um, I just want to go here and show people where there's some stuff here. Obviously, um, there's ROMs. If you're going to use ROMs for mess, you want to use the mess ROMs because uh, I found if you don't, you could, you're gonna, you're, you know, your mileage is going to vary as far as where they're going to get anywhere. But uh, today, I'm going to be using a Coco 3 ROM. I have pretty much most of these Cocos except for the uh, PAL stuff, obviously. But but I'm using the Coco 3 today just because it's the simplest one I just decided to set up. And also, if you don't have a real good Notepad program, I'd recommend you get something like Notepad++. I believe that's Windows only also. I'm not 100% certain on that. But uh, if you're on Windows, uh, I really like it. And it actually has the ability to work as a uh, integrated development environment if you want to... Uh, set it up that way and I was thinking about doing that for assembly but I haven't gotten that far as well uh, another little pipe dream but anyway uh, so that's the uh, basic places where everything is oh I also went into uh, the archive and I got uh, Sockmasters Donkey Kong which I'll show later just so we can show I'm not blowing smoke that all this does actually work so um, so that's that like I said if you do the meme it's a 7-zip file it's going to be um, Basically, uh, it's a self-extracting, so you don't even need a, 7, a 7Z file extractor. It does its own thing. But when you do that, it's going to ask you for a uh, location. And I always put the main, I always put most of my stuff in the desktop. It's just the way I, I've always been. So you'll get a main folder. When you go in there, you'll see that. Uh, this I think is we, lost your, we lost your screen share. Uh, okay. Stand by. Nick Morentis is joining us in chat. Join us on Skype too, Nick. Nick says, why do they call it Mess UI when it actually runs under MAME? <laughs> yeah, well, that's because if you read the history in there, not to get too belabored with it, but it's called Mess UI because it used to be when Mess and MAME were split, that was the UI for Mess. And then there was the MAME UI was the UI for MAME. When mm -hmm. they combined... Basically, the Mess UI used to be part of Mess. Like, if you downloaded Mess, you got the UI with it. Well, then, when they decided to do their own, that the UI that exists now for MAME, that you can get into using Tab or whatever it is, I think, 
they split out the MessUI project, and now that project's being managed separately from the main, the main software. So that's why they're they're separated like that. Okay. Um, so anyway, we get into here. You'll see this is the general. When you get MAME, you do that uh, file unload, and you're going to get this directory wherever you decide to put it. Then what you'll do is you'll go into MessUI, and when you go into MessUI. This is this is simply just a MessUI 64exe. That is the only file in here, so it's not a it's not an install. It's not anything like that. It's just an actual file. So what you'll do is, like you'll see, if I can move this without turning you guys off again, put him down there. You'll see in here there's a MessUI 64. That's the application, and uh, it does everything from the application that it needs to do. So, um, so what I want to do. Just so everybody can kind of see where this goes, I'm going to uh, I'm going to make another meme directory here because all this meme that I have in here I, was, I played with this morning and make sure I have everything working the way I wanted it to. So uh, I'm going to do this again fresh because there's a couple of things that are worth seeing if uh, you're starting out with a brand new. Um, uh, depository. So, so there's the main you main two. Like I said, you get your standard brunt of files. Get the mess UI. Drag him out here. Get him uncompress. And then you'll just open up here and put him inside of your main. Oh I think you, I think no! You, dra you dragged it on top of a program. Just drag it into the white space. It should work. There we go. <laughs> See, Steve, you are a genius. I, I knew this. All right, so <laughs> MessUI. So when you open up MessUI 64, hmm, I wonder why it's not letting me do that. Because Windows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because what? Because you guys are watching. Yeah, exactly. Because Windows, yeah. <laughs> huh. Nick, you with us? Yes, I'm here. Good eye, Nick. Good eye. That amazes me that it, it just set up on my other one, but won't do it here. Oh, you know what? It might be. I might have not got the decompressed version of it, but it looks like I did. Let me try that one more time just to make sure I didn't screw that up. So you're trying to extract. So the mess UI executable is a separate file from MAME. So when you install MAME, you have to drag this into the same folder that MAME is in. That's right. And for whatever reason right now, it does not want to let me, cannot access. Yeah, I'm not sure why it's giving me that. Well, that's why I made up this other yeah, one. Go, back to, other go to the one, one that works. So, <laughs> so this guy here. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to try to figure that out and get back to you guys why it's not working. That seems not right to me. Maybe... I don't know if it has something to do with the screen sharing we're doing, or that's the only thing that's really different between now and this morning. But in any case, let's see if it will open this one up. Yep. <laughs> All right. So this is the main UI when you get into it, and basically, uh, you can see here you got your choice of pretty much every system that they have available. So what I want to show is um, a lot of people have issues with like, or I've heard you know read on the internet and stuff like, how do you know what 
um, what ROMs I need, what computer takes what ROMs, and how do I know what I got to get. So the easy way to figure that out, and with the computers, it's a little bit more simpler than some of the game machines, but if you fire up one that doesn't have the ROMs you need, it tells you, as you can see right in the middle of the screen, exactly what ROMs you need, what they need to be called, and uh, tells you where it tried to find them, which are the typical places it will look for that emulator. So if you're, if you're like, man, what do I need for my Coco 2 Enhanced? Well, if you fire up Coco 2 Enhanced in here, the 2B, you're going to end up, you know, it's going to tell you exactly what you need for that to work. So um, when you get into the actual, this one here, uh, I was going to show the actual ROM activation, but I can't do it. Well, I can do it, but not with uh, the way that other one does it and work for me. So in any case, if you go into your MAME folder, you'll see there's a ROMs subfolder. And if you open that up, this is where I put that Coco 3 doc, uh, zip doc that I downloaded from Color Computer Archive. You don't have to unzip it. You don't have to do anything with it. You just drop it into ROMs. Right. Let, me, let me interrupt you there real quick for just a second, sure. Jay, because we had this conversation just a little bit before the call. I was talking to Richard, Cavell, and Simon, and... I think um, some people are doing this differently. So I'm going to share. I'm, I, I'm not the expert here, but um, we have like a few people who are a little bit more knowledgeable here. All mm -hmm. I've ever done is take the zip files like you're showing here, Coco 3 zip and then mm -hmm. Coco 2 zip. And I, and I got them from the same place. I got them from the Color Computer Archive. Yeah, now, some people have put files in here that are actually .rom files, like the disk 11 ROM and the... Yep. You can uh, do that as well. It will, it will do either way. But if you, if you read the... Um, and if there's anybody that's more knowledgeable on this than I am, please chime in. But if you read the actual main documentation, it tells you that it recommends that you put it zipped into this ROM folder. They recommend doing it that way. So... MAME would prefer your ROM folder to con con contain the zip file of the entire machine. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if, I don't know if I would say that the software really cares, but I think from a uh, organization point of view, I think they're saying, "Hey, just leave it in a zip file. That way, it's all there. You don't have to worry about your files getting mixed up or moved or whatever." So, um, I don't think the pro because I like if like I said, if you go into a uh, if you go into here, you're gonna have all the files in there that you would expect, yeah, and you so... could you could copy and paste these out into ROMs, and it would still work. But okay, so it does it does read them if they're there. Correct. Okay, but I've I never, believe I've never done it that way. So right. I've only done it this way, where I've have just a Coco three zip file. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I think, like I said, I don't think the program itself cares. I think they just recommend doing it this way from an organization and cleanliness of your folders perspective. Okay. But gotcha. it also helps if you want to have specific ROM sets, like if you want an extended Basic 1.1 with a Color Basic 1.2. If it's all in the zip, you're getting, you know, what you're getting. Whereas if you yes. have multiple versions, I don't know, if it might get confused. Yes, I, absolutely. I've just done it the other way, you know. But but again. Yeah, so apparently there's not really a right or wrong way. The software will let it go. I, I, just, I only know the way that I have done. So it's nice to know that it's not a fluke or a custom thing that works different ways for different people. It's just the, the process we've chosen in the past, but the, it, looks, it seems like the program will let us go either way. Yeah, it will. And uh, when actually when I started first playing with this, I was unzipping them and putting them into the ROMs folder because I didn't really know any better. And it does work, and... I always done that just because, you know, Windows, you unzip everything. So, But then I had read the documentation a little bit, and I kind of, like I said, fell across that, that small uh, piece of it where it says, hey, just put the zips in there, and it keeps everything 
you know, more tidy. So it does work both ways. Roger that. So anyway, you put your ROMs in here uh, for, you know, whatever you want, right, uh, for the uh, computer of choice. When you do that, in the main mess UI, you'll see right now I don't have this red circle with the slash, which right. basically any of these that have that red circle with slash means you don't, the computer, I'm sorry, the program doesn't know that you have the ROMs to run that. So like you see, it saw when I press color computer two and tried to open it, it told me, hey, you don't have these ROMs, these are the ROMs you need, and then it bailed out. So basically, once you install new ROMs, mess UI is a... Um, like a post-processing sort of program, I guess is the best word. So it doesn't know anything until you refresh it, whether that is either through closing it or there is actually a view refresh. And when you see, you see my green bar down the bottom, it's looking through basically all the ROMs that I have and pairing them up with the appropriate emulator. And right now all I have is the uh, color computer one, so that's the only one that really changed. But if I had more, you'd see these reds going away, just like this one is here. Right. Well, let me let me ask you another dumb question too. So sure. on the left of this too, you usually have categories like working and available. If you just switched over from all ROMs to like working or available, would that give you the short list of um, what it your would. systems configured it for? It would. Yeah, and now as you can see, there's uh, a lot of them here. You actually get without any kind of real download. So, but yes, it will. This this shows me basically everything that it sees. I have anything for that it it recognizes. So yeah, you can do that as well. What I've done in the past with MAME is I've taken all my Cocoa ones and I just favorited them. Is mm -hmm. that a word? Favorited? Anyway, yeah, I, 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 it, yeah. I, I, I clicked on the star. <laughs> let me let me simplify that, right? So I clicked on the little star and then I went to favorites and I just had my Cocos and favorites. So I didn't have you're to. You're talking in them. the actual MAME UI. In the MAME so. UI, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. I have, I don't really uh, worry about that because, I, like I said, I use this UI and it's simple enough. But you can, uh, I believe, add your own folder and put ones in there. But I haven't uh, actually bothered with that because it's easy enough for me to find what I'm looking for. Right. But so, anyways, you go into the, uh, we'll go into Color Computer Three. And the first things you got to do, like, uh, like I showed when I when I tried to open the Coco Two, you saw it open up full screen. Um, you didn't be, weren't able to see it because I couldn't uh, do anything with it because there's no ROMs, but it would have captured my mouse. It's just, and it's not a real great uh, experience when if you go into it default. So what you'll do, and if you notice here also, this is something that I noticed. You see there's properties and then properties for Coco 3 CCP, or CPP, I should say. So if you go back to the main uh, color computer list, you'll see there's a bunch of them that use Coco 3 okay. versus Coco 1, 2. So... If you go into the properties for Coco 3, you're you're adjusting those properties for all the emulators that use the Coco okay. 3.cpp, which means uh, and it's also it's like a an avalanche. So if you do Coco 3.cpp or cpp and set up properties there, and then you go into your specific color computer that uses that file and change properties, those properties for that specific computer will override the ones in the Coco3.cpp, so it's kind of like an, an avalanche of settings that you can go into there. So it's not kind of like a family setting, like if you have a Coco3 and a Coco3H for the Hitachi 639, for example, you're changing settings for both. Correct. Yep, that's absolutely correct. Um, but I'm going to go into the main properties, and this is the display you'll get. And a lot of these are kind of like, yeah, this tells you what it's doing. That's nice. Audit, yeah, I haven't really played with that. I don't think there's much to do there other than if you're trying to check out a ROM. It seems like more of a really deep developer feature. Um, in the display, the first thing you want to change, or at least 
I've changed because I, I find it too hard to operate it in uh, with a modern computer without doing it. You want to uncheck this maximize because it will always okay, be checked. Okay, do me a favor. Hold, hold, hold that thought for one second. I'm seeing here that this is this is showing up very, very small on the screen. So I'm trying to see what I can do to oh, okay. try to zoom in on this real quick because we're looking at really tiny, tiny settings. Let's see if uh, I can get it. Make it any bigger? I don't think I can. No. I'm not sure that my software is going to let me go any bigger than my screen either. So, um, yeah. Okay. Sorry. I, I tried to zoom in of just a, a touch. Well, yeah. It's a very that's small fine. dialog box here. Okay. Yeah, it is. Uh, but anyways, there's a button right about here that says Start Out Maximize. You want to unclick that and tell it the one right above it says Run in Window, um, and that makes it much more useful in a uh, you know modern windling environment. So. Um, there's an advanced, which there's really not much to play with on there. Uh, the, there's a screen tab, really not much to work with there. Sound, you can change your sampling rate if you want. I haven't really had the need for that. Get into configuration. This is where basically this will be different per emulator, but for the Coco 3, it gives you the options of different RAM. You got basically your 128, your 512, and there's a 2 megabyte and 8 megabyte option as well. Um, I usually just leave that on 512. And then there's a miscellaneous, and this has some of the more important ones. There's uh, sleep when possible boxes is checked by default. I haven't found any reason to uncheck that. There's another one that says skip system info. That's just another page that pops up when it's mm -hmm. when it starts up the uh, the emulator. I just I skip that because once you see it, it's really not uh, terribly useful. And then underneath the BIOS box, and I know like you said, it's going to be hard to see because uh, of the display. But there's another one that's very important. That says show menu. Um, you want to check that box. That gives you a menu in the window for the emulator to adjust a lot of these settings in the emulator when it's running. So that's useful as well. The last thing you want to work on changing, you go into controller mapping. And then this will basically let you map pretty much any device that is associated with the color computer. And uh, there's a mouse device on the bottom. And that normally will be selected to mouse. You want to select that to none, uh, and that will stop it from capturing your mouse in the window. Yeah, that's the problem I was having, and that's yeah. that's that's what Nick would always say. Multitasking is like I can't multitask with this because the mouse doesn't just move seamlessly outside of the window. Hi, this is Randy Kindig of the Foppy Days podcast. I just love me some cocoa, and nobody covers it better than Steve Strobridge. You're listening to Cocoa Talk. Hey guys, Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here, and if you're listening to Coco Talk, chances are you're interested in the Color Computer. If you'd like to find out more about the Color Computer, then visit my Coco Links page at imacoconut.com. There you will find communities, podcasts, YouTube channels, project sites, blog sites, hardware, software, buy, sell, trade, you name it. So for all things Color Computer, visit imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A, coconut. Dot com and tell them the original gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. Right. So yeah. Turning no, you that have to uh, fix it. Correct. That. Yeah. If you get you take mouse device to none and that will uh, basically have it not capture your mouse. So, uh, so that's the basic. I won't say basic, but that's the uh, roster of stuff you want to change to get it. You know, a good environment in your uh, your emulator. So when you see when you just fire this up. Uh, let's see if I can get this a little bit bigger. Is that better for yeah. you guys? Yeah. Oh, so you'll see up top here I have a menu. Um, that's the menu that it gave me when, I, when we checked the box for show a menu, which is useful. I let you uh, set up slots for your um, 
basically for your disk drives here. Uh, let you put media and all your different media spots that you can put in a, a Coco. Bunch of options. Most of them here have already been set up uh, coming in here. The only thing that's really useful here, at least I like it, is uh, I believe we got a partial keyboard emulation. It lets, uh, if I'm not mistaken, well, maybe not. I might have that wrong. I already had it set up and didn't realize it. Yeah, there is a setting that you can have it map your normal keyboard to. Yeah, uh, that, that's having that unchecked, I think. I think. Or is it, or is it, no, I tried it both ways, and it doesn't seem uh, to be giving me the desired effect either way. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, here it is. Keyboard, keyboard natural. Keyboard natural. There you go. Now you there can you type like a normal situation. Yep. And then this will basically give you your... Uh, yeah, normal. Well, maybe. Yeah, well. yeah. I, I I have a hard time because I'm doing this programming in Basic right now, and I'm using Mame mm -hmm. and trying to remember where the certain keys are. Uh, this natural keyboard certainly comes in handy sometimes too. Yeah, type yeah. Like a normal person. The, the the purpose of the other keyboard is if you're trying to play like in the old Coco One and Two games where the arrow keys are on opposite sides of the keyboard, mm -hmm. and you're trying to do an PCL cram down, and sometimes it's much harder to play the game. So it's kind of enabling that as an option mm. when you're going to yeah. play a game. But for typing, yeah. regular stuff, definitely switch to the... Now, it doesn't game. save that setting, though. You can set it to whichever one... Like, you, if you set it to natural, uh, next time you run the emulator, it's um, it's turned off. Yeah, you're correct, Nick, and, I, and I'm not sure why it does that. I, um, I, I know it's the same thing. I think, and maybe uh, Curtis is better since he, he knows a little bit more about the command line stuff on this. I don't know if there's a command line option to set it to natural when you you know when you uh, if you start it from a command line. But yeah, yeah, you're right. Within the within the mess uh, UI, it does for whatever reason does not save that option. Well, I I think I know the answer. But yeah, anything oh, okay. you can basically the the UI is giving us a GUI to all of the various commands. So yeah, there is a command. What that command is, I don't know. However, what you can do when you run um, mess. You have to do it from a command prompt. If you do mess mm -hmm. UI um, tac cc, that creates the any file, and you get a mess UI any file. Mm -hmm. Inside that any file, there's an option to have it write changes. So you yep. have to um, make your any file tell it to save any change that you make. And once you do that, it should work theoretically. Hmm. See if I can figure out where my. Uh mess UI so, so, file so it, the same thing oh you know what hang on if, I'm if in the wrong place if you type in MAME64-CC it'll mm -hmm. create the MAME64-INI you also have to type in MESSUI-CC and it will create your um, and what's the uh, option file for MESSUI it's uh, dash CC from, no no, no from I mean uh, once you're in the MESSUI-INI you, mess file what's the uh, uh, something about save changes now, I'll see if I can pull it up on mine Commit changes, save changes, something like that. Let me see if I can find my mini file, uh, my any file. That's uh, in the main in the main any file itself, though, not the mess UI. Well, when file. you're running mess UI, you have to do it there, or maybe you have to do do it in both places. I'm not sure. Uh, full screen, current tab, show toolbar, hide folders. Where the heck did it go? UI key. Yeah, I don't see anything here about saving. Maybe it is in the main main. Uh, maybe main. it's in the main UI. Let's see.
This is stuff that I just learned recently when Tim was showing us stuff, you know. I just saw an autosave. Is that it? No. I saw autosave. I don't know if, if that's what you're talking about, though, Steve. Uh, write config one. So it's core configuration op option. So it's mess.ini. Main yeah, or right config. I have right config turned on, and it yeah. is that you're talking about the right config at the I top. I think here? so. Yeah, right config. Yeah, it doesn't. It's still not. Uh, it does write a lot of it, but for whatever reason, it does not save that particular item, and I'm not mm. sure why. Okay, right config is what it seems to be. Yeah. Well, then there, there. But yes. Yeah, so, so anything you're doing in that GUI is it's it's just passing off the command line option for it. So the question is going to be, what's the command line to have it automatically launch with that feature? Right, um, and I've been looking for it because I want to put yeah. it in my command line that I use, I actually use outside of this, and I haven't been able to find it yet. So if anybody knows, let me know. Okay. <laughs> but I haven't found um, it. Just a side note, because I have been using MAME with Nitrous 9 a lot, um, mm -hmm. there are some features with the natural keyboard layout that do not work. Um, so like if, if you want shift, left, right, up, down arrows to do some of the special things with Shell Plus, the natural keyboard can't translate the arrow keys uh, correctly. Okay. So, so basically if you need some of the, you know, arrow keys, um, yeah, you're going to have to switch off the natural to use the arrow keys correctly. Go back, go back to the standard keyboard, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're... You know, if you're typing, yeah, the natural is great for that. But if you need, you know, the shift or control arrow keys, you're going to have to turn it off. Gotcha. Right. Same thing with copying and pasting. If you want to copy and paste through the UI into the Cocoa, it won't work when you're on natural. You have to be in uh, emulated. All right. Excellent. Yeah, I, I knew somebody would probably have played with that. I, I like I, I, when Nick said that, I'm like, yeah, I, I recognize that as well. I, if for whatever reason it won't, and maybe it doesn't save it because of what. Um, is it it's, a very, it's a very it's a very it's a very machine specific feature. It's not really a global emulation setting, too. Right. Um, so I think that was uh, the breadth <laughs> I want to show here. There's one other thing. If you notice over here, you got a media view. Um, I don't know if that's showing up too well over there, but there's a media view. This basically lets you um, select any type of media that you want to put in. Whether you, uh, if you have a cassette file you want to you want to attach to your Coco, there's floppy disk files that you can attach to the Coco. This will make it available based on every time you start up that emulator, it's going to be in whichever floppy drive you attach it to. What you can also do is you can go in to uh, one that I skipped earlier purposefully, there's a software tab here, which I know is hard for you guys to see, but basically there's a uh, insert button. If you hit insert, it's going to allow you to pick a directory, just your normal directory picker, where you want it to look for software for the Cocoa. Um, and I had that already set up under uh, in my main folder. Oh, let me get rid of that. And I know you guys can't read this, but it says main slash Cocoa software is where I have it directed to. And what that does for you, which is nice, if you go to software item, I'm sorry, software files now, it actually will, whatever you have in there that it can read and open, it will list in this box. So right now I have a, a Cocoa disk in there, which is something I have set up for the, the uh, other part. But uh, as you can see, this is the uh, Sockmasters Donkey Kong, and we'll fire that up just so you guys can see this actually does work. 
So as soon as you launch that software link, it basically mounts the floppy and launches the emulator. Correct. Now, the thing to remember is if you use that window off to the side, which is just kind of a nice feature, in my opinion, that window off to the side, you use it out of there, it's a once and done. Now, if I close out this window and I restart my color computer emulator, I will not have this disk again because it's only you have to select it per instance, I guess, would be the best okay. word to use. Whereas if you use the actual floppy um, media, media slot. slot, it will always yeah. be in that slot unless you change it. Yeah, and the floppy media slots is probably not as useful for floppy images unless you're doing development on a certain project or something. But the hard yes. drive one is kind of handy if you're, say, running Nitrous 9 all the time. Yeah, right. Who does that? <laughs> <laughs> and thus it begins. <laughs> and so there, <laughs> so there you go. You can see that it actually does run software. So, um, yeah. And it does a pretty good job. Um, this takes a while to load up. Um, obviously, because I guess it does a bunch of decompression in the background, but um, so that's that. So that was the, uh, the the first part of what I was going to talk about. And Steve, I have some more if you want to continue on. Yeah, it's up yeah. To you. Why? Okay. Yeah. Why don't Why don't we do this? Let me see. Let me see if I can do something here on my screen now, where I can possibly make it a little bit bigger. Okay. So give me just it, a second. It's here. coming out fine on mine. Is it? Even, but I I just can you I'm read just, a text and whatever. Yeah, it'd uh, be menus, clear. I was just a little concerned of the size of the window. I mean, yeah, I it depends on the size of the screen you're watching on Skype right now, I think. I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm watching on a 24 inch monitor, and so I have the uh, Skype window about three quarters the size, and so the Donkey Kong window is actually pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just do this. I'm going to try to run MessUI on my computer, and we're just going to, I'm just going to try to resummarize everything you just said here. Okay. Uh, just to make sure that I understand it too, for my own benefit. Benefit. Uh, what the hell's going on with my freaking screen right now? Hold on, Christ! I hate computers. <laughs> All right, let's try this again. Let's close and reopen. All right, we're gonna go in here to Coco Mame. I'm gonna go to Mess UI 64. Here we go. Let me switch my thing here to show. Yeah, see, I've actually brought it up on my screen, and it's pretty clear as well. I mean, I'm using a 23-inch, and I don't yeah. have any issues seeing it. So, so. Yeah, it might be All a problem right, for so. somebody trying to watch it on their phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's just, I don't think it's designed for that purpose. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if mine's going to look any much more better than yours, but let me just try it real quick. So right now, like, I have under my color computer category... Mm -hmm. I have mm -hmm. Color Computer 3 NTSC. I have Color Computer 3 NTSC with the 6309. Yeah. Right. Hey, J Johnny Moe is here. So if I do a... And so right now, this is showing me the computer in the main mess super GUI launcher. There's right. a couple more columns over here to the right. One of them has got three tabs, which my freaking camera is now blocking. Um, and so the tabs are software files, media view, and software items. In the media view tab, we can do things like preload a cassette, um, preload a cartridge, and then mount up to four different floppies. And currently right now, mine still remembers the Pac-Man floppy I ran from last weekend. So yeah. you could preload four floppies here that have them automatically mounted when you launch the game. So this media view here, before you even launch your emulator, is pretty handy. Um, some of the other tweaks is if you actually do a right mouse click on the machine and go to properties and from here there's a handful of tabs and again I don't think it's any much more better than mine okay so it starts off in general uh, three over on the bottom is display 
and you unchecked start out maximized and you said um, run in a window. Yeah, I mean, so that's that, my preference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I believe most better, people so. would because that way you can see the rest of your computer. Yeah, and okay. oh, and just a uh, message if, if there's somebody trying to figure this out and trying to get this all set up and it opens up and you're like, ah, I can't get out of this. Just hit your, your well, on a Windows computer, just hit your window key and it will uh, bring it out to your desktop. You can close it out and try again. So um, Alt-Enter, I think, too, toggles it out of full screen. Okay. Okay, and then under Advanced... Is this where we went to? Advanced nope. is nothing no, there's advanced. Really nothing okay, in there. then under screen. Nope, nothing nothing in there. here. And then where was it then under configuration? Configuration. I think, configuration, I okay. think maybe. No, no, that's no. RAM. I'm Configurations sorry. You got, where you can you change it right. out of RAM. Yeah, I tried the miscellaneous. I think that's you were right in the first okay. place. Okay. And then under miscellaneous, no, that's not it. Software. Yeah, it is. That was it. That was it. Okay. Okay. Under the software tab, this is where you can insert programs to be available in that middle menu. Okay. Correct. Under miscellaneous is a checkbox right here that says show menu. That's right. And that's what right. gives you the menu bar above the emulated Cocoa. Yep. So those handful of settings there are pretty useful settings if somebody's not already used to some of those tweaks. Hey, have you got your Cocoa 3 yet? Hi, this is Rick Adams, author of Temple of Rom in Shanghai, and you've tuned into Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Hey guys, Stevie Stroh here. And if you're a fan of vintage computing and retro gaming, you're going to love our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com, featuring hand-drawn custom designs and pixel art by Instagram artist Joel M. Adams. We've got the brand new official Coco Talk t-shirt, I'm a Coconut t-shirt, and all kinds of other cool video game and arcade-related artwork. Check out 8bit256.com for all your retro swag needs today. Um, good, good deal. Thanks for sharing that with us. And hopefully, hopefully somebody understands what the hell we just did. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, so that's the basic, like if you just want to run a a mess on a Windows box with, uh, you know, a a pretty, pretty slick UI, it's not perfect, obviously, but I think it performs its purpose pretty well. I'll let you do that. You know, you can put drop games and that's that, uh software file that I showed you guys that it will come up automatically and just load a game up and play to your heart's content. Right. Um, the other piece of what I want to show if I still have my... Yeah, I'm still up on you. Okay. Um, so the other piece of it is, which is for me the more compelling piece of mess, um, I should say MAME, is uh, its actual programming ability. It, it's debug features I, I've been playing with quite a bit, just learning different things and I find it to be pretty pretty incredible to be honest but um so basically what i wanted to do um is move into a piece on so just very basic how assembly works on the um the emulator itself and uh you know kind of like the tool chain i use to do that if you want to call it that so i'm going to close this out for now um and this as well so if we go back to my Firefox, you'll see that... Ah, actually, I got rid of it. Let me go back there. So there's uh, LW Tools, which uh, anybody that does assembly programming on the Coco probably is well aware of, especially if you do cross-platform. Um, but this is the LW2 Tools site. Um, if you read down through here, 
There's uh, it tells you how to build it from source if you want using Ming GW or CG uh, CYG Win, which is for basically like Unix uh, compilation on a Windows PC. Uh, I didn't get I didn't go there because uh, <laughs> that's just not something I want to get into. But uh, there is some other stuff you can do. There's um, down here just third party contributions. This guy has actually created some Windows. Um, compilations that are already done that you basically they're binaries um just make sure if you get it you get the 414 which is the newest one uh right down the list for whatever reason it doesn't put it on top i'm not quite sure why but uh you want to get that that is going to be the 32-bit binary now there is also a 64-bit which is uh says down here alan wolf has kindly provided these 64 win binaries win 64 binaries which is great problem is if you get them they're not up to date with the most current version of lw tools which is 414 so you don't get all the features that are um in that now the other thing you can do which i did um just to see if i could get it to work is you can also when you pull down the lw tools which uh is this guy here this is basically what you download if you were to pick the 414 download line that i just showed you you go into the Win folder here, and it actually gives you projects that you can go into Microsoft Visual Studio, open that up, and then import the uh, files from here, which are all the C document files, and actually recompile it on your machine, which is what I, I did. Uh, I did it both ways just to see if there's any difference, and uh, as far as I can tell, it this, the 32 binaries work fine to get the uh, most recent features, but... Um, I'm just kind of a quack like that, so I want to see if I get it to compile, and it does compile. And you can use the Community uh, 2015 version of Visual Studio for that if you want. Well, if if you don't have a uh, professional version. Um, so anyway, so that's that. When you do that, you are going to get a folder. It's going to look something like this. This says Ming W because that's what they used to compile it when they uh, gave it to you know, put it out there for us to pull down. So It's going to give you uh, basically a bunch of this stuff I've added, but you're going to get these main tools, which here you got an image tool, which is actually not from this download. I pulled that out of MAME uh, just because it's more convenient to have it here the way I do things. So I pulled it over here. The uh, You got the uh, assembler, uh, linker, I'm not sure what this object dump file does, to be honest with you, but these are your main files as far as uh, being able to work with assembly code and moving it into uh, the Cocoa. So what I have here is basically I have an assembly file. I'm sorry, a batch file that I call okay. assemb. And if you look at this, this is basically a batch file. What, what I do with this, I'm not sure how familiar people are with Windows batch files, but it's it's pretty typical. Um, I just come in here and I clear the screen. Um, this LWASM is the the uh, LW Tools Assembler. Uh, percent one means whatever the first command line option you give the program, it's going to assign to percent one. So you, it's kind of like a variable. Um, so you can write that, uh, give it an ASM extension, and these are a bunch of modifiers to tell the uh, LW assembler what what I wanted to do so uh, basically it's for 6809 that's there if you put 6309 it will do, it will allow 6309 opcodes 
And then you have a list and symbols, which list just gives you a listing of the assembly after it does it, and symbols gives you the listing of symbols. I also use 6800 compatibility. That way it lets me do stuff like NX instead of having to do LEAX, 1 comma X. So it's just a little more convenient that way. Um, then there's an output. Uh, again, you can see I use %1.bin to make a binary file out of it. It's going to be named the same as whatever you tell it to use as the source file. And then tac tac format. Um, LWASM does allow several formats. I think you got a RAW, uh, DECB, and maybe a uh, OS9 format, I believe. Uh, so percent %2 is just a second command line uh, option you're going to get there. So once it assembles, it comes down here. Uh, this is what I was trying to work on the other day. I finally figured out. It's going to have an if statement. basically tells you if the error level is not equal to zero, which means basically when a, when a file completes, it, it emits an error code. Mm -hmm. If everything goes great and it's happy, it emits a zero. If it goes wrong and it's not happy, then it emits... It can be negative to positive. It depends on what version of Windows, and it gets really complicated. But NEQ0 will always search for just zero. So if, the, if it outputs a zero, it's just going to move on to the next line. If not, it says go to end of file, which basically drops it out of the batch file, um, which is what you want because uh, that will allow you to see what the error was and let you go in and troubleshoot what the problem was. So uh, Then you pull in next is the image tool, which I showed uh, in, in the previous... Um, window we're in, and this basically has a syntax that you just kind of got to learn. It's uh, you can do image tool help, and it will you know give you all of its syntax. But um, basically, there's a put command that allows you to put things onto a disk. This is the um, format of the disk, which is the Coco disk format that works with um, with well, all of them work with main, but the one specifically for the Coco is this. Jay, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, you need to find W image tool to go on top of that. It's a lot easier. Yeah, I the problem I have with W image. Well, there's two problems with it. One, it's not as easy to use in a batch file. But the second piece of it is I can't find that in the current distribution of main. Do you have? Do you know where that is? Because I I have it on my other computer, but I don't have it. I can't find it again. Uh, so, I can I can make it available. Okay. Yeah, I've uh, I I actually found it when I was first started playing with this, and I couldn't find it again. But in any case, like I said, the image tool works in the batch file much better yeah, than... The image tool is very good in a batch file, yes, definitely. I, I, I totally get that. But yep. for, for someone who doesn't... For someone who just wants to put binaries onto a disk or make yes. a new disk, then image tool and W image tool are... Well, they go hand in hand, and it's so easy to do. Yeah, W image tool is just basically a GUI, pretty much, for image tool. Um, yes, Yep. But like I said, I, I wanted to show that when I did this, and I could not find the file again. So, yeah, if you have a, a, a way to um, figure out how to make that available, that'd be great. Yeah, I'll make it available straight away. Um, so anyway, uh, then we go in and basically give it the uh, path for what disk you want it to put the file on. Obviously, that disk has to exist, or it's going to give you an error. Um, it uses the percent %1 uh, variable again, tells it wants to be percent one bin and then uh, basically where you're going to put it so does the error level check again verify that image tool is happy if not it fails out then I change directly to my main directory on my desktop so that it knows where to find MessUI which is the next uh, line here so MessUI 64 bunch of options for MessUI um, basically tells it Coco 3 I want to use no filtering 
uh, fires up my debug window, which is what you want when you're doing, uh, you know, uh, any type of um, development. Obviously, you're going to get want to get to the debug menu to see what you're getting. Uh, skip game info is kind of the same thing we're talking about. The other one doesn't give you that first show screen. Window UI active, I believe, gives you the uh, menu. And then flop one is basically a call for, hey, this is the floppy I want you to use. So, and once again, that's the same uh, disk that I had up here. And then when uh, that exits, I have it change the directory back to my development directory because otherwise you have to do it manually. So I found that out by building this thing. So in any case, uh, when you get all that figured out so that uh, all your directories are correct and what have you, when you go in, what, the way you need to do it, otherwise you won't see... Uh, as long as everything goes great, you really won't care, but if you don't do it this way, you won't see the errors, and I'll show you what I mean. So, here is uh, brought up a command prompt for anybody to know how to do that. Just uh, search command, and it will pop up in your Windows uh, Finder, or Windows, whatever they call it in Windows. Um, and then you can CD, and then just grab your your uh, directory out of Windows Explorer. They'll pop it in here, and then it'll change your directory for you. And then if I type a sim without any kind of parameters, you're going to see it's going to puke back to me and say, hey, blank.asm is not a file. And that's right, it's not a file because I didn't give it one. But if I had it, if I had just clicked sim, if you guys can see that, I'm not sure. You see the window comes up and it disappears right away. I don't know if you're getting that or not. But in any case, if you don't open it in its own command prompt window, you'll never see the error, and you'll never know why it's bailing out on you. So that's why you want to do it this way. But anyway, what we'll do is, to show you how this actually is supposed to work, we'll do a sem, and then we want to give it a file. So as you can see in my directory here, I have a colors2. And what we'll do is we'll delete this color2's bin just so you guys can see how it works. So you got colors2. And then I'm going to tell it DECB because I want to put it on the cocoa. Hit enter. Oh, colors two. Very good at checking your errors. If never did batch files before. Colors two DECB. So as you can see, I'll go back and show you what the window showed. But basically, it went through my batch file. It's fired up uh, color computer now in mess, and it's giving me my debug menu to show us, um, basically this is where the first character or the first uh, memory location where the debugger kicks in for uh, the Coco. So if I hit F5, it will continue on, and we'll get the typical window, and it will do its thing. Um, but I want to go back just to show everybody what this file gives you when you do the uh, compilation. This is your listing. This basically tells you what it saw as a listing, and then over here on this side, it's showing you uh, since I told it, you know, actually, I don't think I showed you guys that yet. Or maybe not very long. Let me open this up. So this is the... Come on, you. Uh, so this is the uh, file that is running when when I do uh, colors, too. But anyway, I'm, I'm, my purpose today is not to get into an in-depth assembly lecture. Um, but just for a uh, quick reference on a couple important things, you got org um, at memory location 4000 hex. That basically tells it that is an indicator to actually to um, to the color computer where when you do your load M 
whatever the file name is, where it's supposed to put it. Um, also, at the bottom, very important, you have to have a starting label. And I don't know if this is, a, I guess this is an LW Tools assembler uh, thing, but you got to have a, you gotta have a, you gotta have a start. If you ask Nick, it's the same. It's the same deal in editor assembler. Okay. Yeah. A start and an end label. Yeah, you gotta have yeah, the start. Same with ASM under OS nine too. Right. I guess my. I guess my. Um, the thing that I found to be odd is I can put start up here and then end down here. But if I don't say end start, it won't give me a proper binary. You have to actually uh, use the label. It will give you a binary, but it won't have an execute address. Correct. Yep, absolutely. So I found that kind of interesting when I was starting to learn how to use uh, the assembler. So, so anyways, that's the general file. Like I said, I'm not going to get into in-depth and what all this code does. If, if Steve wants to have me back at some point to do that, I'll, I'll be happy to do that. But uh, you can see over here, org 4000. So the first memory address it gives us is 4000. And it basically shows you, hey, this code that you gave me, is this is what I translated it to, and this is what memory address in the program counter it's going to... Uh, execute at or where you're going to be able to find that which is useful for the debugger and also just to let you know <laughs> excuse me just let you know that it's outputting if you're looking at the actual opcodes the opcode you're expecting for a particular command hang on let me get a drink <laughs> hi this is Dale Lear designer of TRS-80 color baseball and you're listening to Coco Talk Hey guys, Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here, and when you're done with Coco Talk, if you gotta have more cowbell, then head on over to my YouTube channel for your share of gameplay goodness. There you will find over 1,300 family-friendly gameplay videos. Everything from the old school to the next gen, and over 200 color computer gameplay videos, as well as interviews and replays of Coco Talk. So if you need your share of gameplay goodness, then check out the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh on YouTube at youtube.com slash OG Stevie Strum. I thought that was funny because that was the commercial I did that Mike Rowan used to sample most of my stuff to make the song Gameplay Goodness right there. I was going through my videos today and I came across that, so kind of interesting. <laughs> so talk about you guys still there? Oh, wait a second. I can't hear you because I muted Skype. Hold on one second. I can't hear you guys. Hello. Are you guys Back. still there? Sorry, I couldn't hear you at all because I had muted Skype for a second. Yep, we're here. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. All right, you back, Jay? I am. I was saying you sound very country in that commercial. I'm not you sure know, what it is. I, I do I do my best. <laughs> 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 and, and Sockmaster says, I need OG Stevie Show hot sauce to exist. So <laughs> we're going to have to look for that. I, I actually like hot sauce. I, I'll be more than yeah. happy to endorse something good. So. <laughs> Wayne Campbell has joined us. Hey, Wayne, how are you? Feel free to um, call us in on Skype if anybody wants to join the Skype call. And um, All right, so we're back, and whenever you're ready, I'm ready. Okay, so uh, just want to uh, jump back in. So we were just talking about uh, basically what the uh, output that it gives you from uh, LW Assembler. Um, so this comes down. It gives you a... Uh, pull over here a little bit gives you a symbol table basically just tells you what symbols it found and what addresses it's going to be at when uh when it assembles it so and you can see if you go up here and look they do match with what it says so that's all good um so what i'll do now is if i can figure out how to do this without losing 
my screen here. There, that's what I was looking for—a menu or a uh, scroll bar. So it comes down. Uh, this pudding file colors two dot bin that comes from the image tool, and then uh, basically from there, just it moves on. So if we come in, I'm going to fire this guy up again. If I can remember my command. Ah, yeah, I don't need to give it that. So we come into here and we do a uh, F5, let it finish running. Now what I'm going to do down, this is the uh, debugging window for uh, mess, or MAME I should say. Uh, although it does call it the mess debugger. So I'm going to go in here, I'm going to put a watch point. WP stands for watch point. I'm going to give it a memory address, which is 4000. Uh, and then I believe it's, uh, if it reads it, is it a, uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I believe it's read, comma, one. If not, it will tell you your syntax is bad, like it just did. <laughs> so I'll go it's got built-in help, too, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, and it lets you know your errors, which is always good. So that gives you a watch point, and I'm also going to set a breakpoint um, at the same address. So breakpoint's just BP at 4,000. And remember, all these numbers are hex, so you got to wrap your head around that if you're going to start programming assembly. So now we have a watch point, and we have a breakpoint. And it tells you that they both are set. So now if I come into here, um, yeah, let's see what I got on this file. Now, did this already inject the binary file into the memory of the Cocoa when you did it? Or did it no, it does put not, it on the disk not image? put it in memory. I don't, know, I don't know of any way to do that um, with a color computer. You can do that with Apple's by using an auto an auto run sort of file but I don't know anyway if anybody does break, uh, go no, ahead I think and uh, I know we're not talking about that emulator but I've heard the guys talking about how XROR you can do that you can actually just load the binary straight into the emulator and execute it without having to put it on a disk image first well, you know you I never tried if you can't load it directly you can load it directly with a control L yeah, that's on, that's on XROR, but that's okay. I was just curious if this was injecting because because I was trying to like disassemble your um, your batch file, and it looks like you're telling it to create, you're telling it to read an assembly file, output to a bin file, and then the next line looks like it's then loading up MAME, but you're also basically um, injecting that bin file into a disk image before you load MAME. Is that what you did? Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah, with the image tool program, yeah. With the image tool yep. program, okay. So now, you... I don't know. I haven't tried yet. Now you bring that up. That's an interesting thought. I don't know if you can put a bin, like a dot .bin file into MessUI in the software tab that we looked at earlier. Double-click that and have it automatically push it into memory. I haven't tried that. That's something that'd be interesting mm. to see. Okay. I don't want to derail this too, too much no, further. That, I just no, I'm with you. So, yeah. but, uh, so if we go in and <clears throat> let's just load up one of these files. So now you can see stop at watch point one, reading byte from 4000 at D006. So D006 is up here. So it's telling me that when the computer executed that command in that uh, memory spot, it was trying to get information from 4,000, and it stopped. And that's in the disk ROM, so that's part of the disk read. Yep. Team. So, uh, as you can see, everything's pretty much hauled it. 
So uh, what I'll do is I'll go with, uh, I think I want to show here. Yeah. Let's go with F5. This is kind of like stepping through the watch Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of stepping well, options. If you click on the debug menu, you can see you can step like single step. You can go to the next IRQ. You can yeah, there's step in all kinds options. of things. So most of the ones I find most useful are obviously straight up run if you just want to see what it's going to do, and obviously uh, stepping into it doesn't really do. I didn't find too much use for the step over. Maybe it's just with my code at this point, but it doesn't seem like that does a whole lot to me different than just stepping into but in any case uh yeah you are right curtis there's a bunch of different options for that if i remember curtis is always right or something like that like it runs a whole subroutine without doing every single line or something like that i think that's what it does subroutine and then come right back okay go through the entire routine especially if it's in a loop hitting f11 Gotcha. Yeah, I tried doing that when I've been in loops, and it seemed like it wasn't giving me what I was expecting. So maybe I'm just uh, not. I using think it's it more right. subroutines, like if you do JSR or BSR or something like that. I think that's what it, it'll say. Okay, I'll I skip you. Debugging the whole. Got you. Okay. Um, so we're back in. Uh, let me get back in here so I can type. We're going to execute this, and you'll see it should stop us again at 4,000, which it did. And so what makes it stop? Is it the watch point or the break point that makes the, it stop? The break point. You can, you can see stopped at break point number one, so it tells you break point stopped. So the first one was a watch point. When it tried to read from the byte that I specified, it stopped it. Now it's saying, hey, you put a break point at number one because I'm trying to execute, actually execute line, four, not just looking at line uh, memory location 4000. I'm trying to actually execute memory lo uh, location 4000. So that's kind of the difference between a watch point and a break point. A watch point kind of watches for changes in a specific memory location versus a breakpoint is a specific execution uh, location. Correct. A specific person in uh, position in your program that's being executed. So. And what's 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 the purpose of doing this? Is this like f forcing you to, to pause your program at a certain point? To Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's I'm also trying to think of a context because I don't write an assembly. I'm trying to understand a context yeah, when this break is point beneficial. Is, well, breakpoint would be good for, let's say you're running through your assembly program. You're like, yeah, I know all this works up to, you know, 5,000 hex, but somewhere around 5,000 hex, I'm getting an issue. So you breakpoint it at 5,000 hex and you can start single stepping through. Watch your registers change and your, you know, your, uh, your uh, flags change and make sure that you're getting the response you're expecting for some part of a program that's not potentially not working correctly. So that's kind of the use of uh, breakpoints. Okay. And then watch points are useful for like, if say you're gonna have, uh, especially if you're like trying to like uh, uh, transcode something, you're like, man, I wonder when it's writing to this memory, or, or I wonder, you know, what's happening when it writes this memory. So you give it a watch point so that when it hits that memory, it will tell you where it's at in its program. You can say, okay, this part of the program is talking to this piece of memory. Why? And you can kind of start digging into why uh, it's accessing that specific spot. So. That, that's my I should best. also mention, too, that, that you can have multiple ones of each. Like, if you have several parts of your program, yes. you're not sure where the program's going snaky on you. You can set watch points and break points to multiple locations, and you can, it'll stop as soon as it hits any one of them. And it'll tell you which one of the ones you specified. So if you set up three and the second one triggers it, it'll say you, you hit break point two. Yep. And if you, for whatever reason, you forget, you're like, man, I wonder... Maybe you have a bunch of breakpoints. There is a breakpoint window you can bring up. It will tell you what your break what your breakpoints are that are uh, currently uh, in play, pretty much. Okay. But as you can see, uh, the thing I really want to show, which is kind of cool to watch, 
Um, I want to do it with a different program, though. So let me... Uh, uh, let me see where I put that. Let me get uh, out of here. Well, that's what color looks like if you let it run. This is a very simple program. It's just a demonstration. It's basically P mode 4. And what it does is it starts with uh, color set 1, which is your black and green. Changes the whole color. Goes to your color set 2, which is your buff and black. Mm -hmm. And basically it's just cycling through those. Now, bear in mind that I have a 64K's worth of delay between each screen, or otherwise this you won't even be able to see it do anything. It's just a blur. Um, it's part of the demonstration I want to show as far as um, the speed difference, but I can show that better with a different program. So let me go there. Hi, I'm John Linville. And I'm Neil Blanchard. And we are the Coco Crew. We are here at the last day of Coco Fat. It's been crazy. We are, we are exhausted. It's been a great weekend, one of the best uh, Coco Fest I can remember. I uh, wish you could have been here. Yeah. All you have to do is make a decision and come next year. Always come next year. But in the meantime, listen every month to the Go Go Crew Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Where can you catch all the latest news and information about the daily color computer and compatibles? Oh yeah. I'm talking about the Coco Crew Podcast. Dig it each month. Join John, Neil, and Mike as they lay down the latest news and information about the Radio Shack Tandy Color Computer and Compatibles. Grooved interviews. Tech segments and discussions all about the Radio Shack Tandy Color Computer. Strut your fine self over to www.cococrew.org and start listening today. The Coco Crew Podcast. Keeping it Coco. Get out of that and that. Are you going to try to tell us that assembly is faster than basic? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically, technically basic <laughs> is the same speed. The problem is basic has to do all of its its uh, decoding of your lines and everything. Yeah, I mean, it's doing everything at the same speed. It's just uh, taking all that extra time trying to figure out what it needs to do first. So. In basic, uh, in basic, the hard part is all done when it runs. In assembler, all the hard part's done up front before it runs. Yeah, very good. That's a very good uh, way of putting it. Yes. Okay, I want to go into this guy, which is the one I set up for this, I believe. Uh, although I need a debugger. Minus debug. This is how you uh, start the debugger. If anybody wants to oh, do it from, from the, from the UI, UI, you can do it. You too, go huh? to debug, activate integrated debugger, check that box, and it will start up every time. And I do mean every time. So if you don't want it, you got to turn it back off. <laughs> <laughs> so as you'll see now, my debug window will pop up. And over here she is. So now let me uh, get this disk loaded up. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I know what the program's called, so I should just be able to pull it right up. 
I'll just make a quick mention while you're doing that sure, too. There's uh, there's disassembly windows. You can have multiple ones if you want to see chunks, different chunks of your code at the same time. You can make separate windows for each. There's yep. memory dumps. You can do the same thing. Like if you have some variables in one part and maybe the screen, you know, you can at the screen memory location. You can set up different ones there to see if it's starting to write to those. Even without watch points, you can kind of monitor what, what yep. things are going. And that's on. kind of what I've kind of what I'm going to show. Very basic yeah. of here in a little bit, just to show you how that works. But so we got load M letters. And what this program does, uh, basically, it takes the text screen, which is from 400 hex to six, uh, 5FF hex, um, and it basically encodes this entire screen into that piece of memory. And I know somebody out there telling me, no, Jay, I don't believe you. Well, I'm going to show you that it's true. So if we I go into you. here, you believe me? I believe you. Heresy, heresy. <laughs> it's only if David says something, we don't believe it. So, yeah. so that would okay. I'm good. I now, want to here. believe. Hey now, hold on, there, Curtis. <laughs> How dare you? So if you look, uh, if I can get my cursor to work here. So here's five FF and four hundred hex. So all this space is basically each one of these bytes is encoding a certain space on this memory. Sure. Yeah. You can so, see the hex value on the left, and you can see the ASCII output on the right, which matches yep. the screen. And if you look mm -hmm. at the screen, you'll obviously I'd have to adjust the size of this to make it look exactly the same with the columns, right. but you get the general idea. Yep. So what, my, what the program's going to do is it's going to come in here at 400, and it's going to put the ASCII letter for A in every spot down to FFF, then B, C, D, E, F, all the way up through Z. And the intention of this program was just to show people the difference in the speed between memory, uh, between, uh, I'm sorry, between basic doing it and actually doing it in assembler. And you'll see it's dramatically different as anybody who's ever done uh, assembly. I was kind of pretty wild by how much faster it really was when I first started playing with it. But what I want to do is I'm going to execute this code. Uh, i got to give myself a breakpoint first so I don't lose my code. What's uh, really interesting about Assembler is you look at something in basic like print and you give it a string of characters. You go, okay, that looks pretty nice and neat. you know. And then you look at Assembler and it's like, what? I got all these characters and they have this big loop that runs and goes over and over and over. But, boy, it runs a lot faster even though it looks a lot bigger. It looks a lot more complicated. But, yeah, you got to think about all the tokenization that's going on underneath and all the conversion. And then it's finally at some point figuring out what assembly to push out. you know. So, yeah, it is a pretty interesting process when you think about what basic is really doing. But... Um, so we'll execute this, and it should stop us at four uh, four thousand. And it did. And then what we can see is, I'm going to single step through this, which I believe if I hit enter, we'll do that. So our first command here is going <clears> to <throat> push some uh, registers on the stack. I was, don't think I have to do that necessarily, but I was doing that just testing something. Um, but anyways, you'll push that on. It loads uh, the X. Uh, index register with zero, which is going to be the counter for the memory location. It loads A with 41 hex, which is a uh, uh, out an A character in ASCII in hex. Uh, it stores what's in X. Uh, I'm sorry, stores in A what's in X at 400 plus the offset, whatever X happens to be at zero right now. Comes down, does a compare to see if we've gotten as far as we want to get yet in the memory. And it says, hey, if you uh, do get there, we're going to move on. If not, then it has us go back. Um, 
does an increment of the X because obviously you got to have the increment or you won't get the movement across the screen like you would expect. And then it has a jump uh, that at that BEQ that we had up in 4000E, 400E doesn't uh, take you on. Then it pushes you back up to the top and continues to loop and just continues to place. So if you look now at 400 on my memory window over here, you'll see it says 41. Now the video hasn't updated yet because it's the way the debugger works. But uh, it, in fact, you can see in memory it has updated. So if I continue... That's based on your VMAX beam Y, by the way, because that's simulating the raster gun going across from water. And you wouldn't actually see it until the 60 hertz refresh, refresh when it actually goes right. to redraw. So that's why yeah, I'm not I think seeing if it. I, I think if I went in here and told it, uh, I don't want to do it just because I'm showing code, but I think if I told it to run to the next, inter, uh, is it next V blank, yeah, v -blank. I think I would get that. But I don't want to do that right now just because of what I'm demonstrating. But you can see as I'm stepping through here, it's continuing to go through this loop. And if you watch, my memory is filling up with 41s. As you go across to 400. Yeah, and it's, it's just cycling its way through, making everything an A. Which is really cool to me to watch it do it in memory just because of what I understand what the assembly is doing. But I know everybody else is probably like, alright, what does that really do? So what it really does, if I close out the debugger and watch, because it is really quick. That's it's what already, it does. It's already on Z. Yeah, we couldn't even it, see it yeah. go through the alphabet. So let me... Uh, let me clear the screen here, and I'll run it again, just so everybody can see how fast that really is. Oop, i got to tell it to continue on here. That's pretty much it. Like, what, a second, maybe, second, half? Yeah. So, now, if it you look the at... screen with, uh, sequentially through every letter of the alphabet up to Z. That's right. Yeah. So, now, if you look in here, now I have another program that I can load up, also called Letters, but it's a basic program. Assuming that I have it on this disc, which I hope I do. Now, are yep. you still using? Are you are you poking at this point, and not using the basic print command? Well, I'm going to show you right now. So I am using a poke. So I, my understanding is that's the fastest way to do memory transfers in basic. If that's not using correct, hex. somebody correct me. Using using hex and pokes, right? Is that the fastest way to go? Because using a print would be slower, right? Right. Have right. To. You can also print, print would be faster if you made a whole bunch of A's as one print statement. But okay, that's kind okay. of cheating compared to because you're trying to right. compare apples to apples right. here. Right. right, right, right. And you, I think you could even speed it up a little bit by changing the 65 decimal to the uh, 41 and H41 too. I think basically yeah, hex, we'll, hex we'll loops are a little, hex bit, fast, little bit faster. Down ah. ah, well, let's try that. And see if I, I don't think it's going to uh, significantly change what we got here. But what the heck? Uh, that is assuming I can figure out what key is on this keyboard for that. So this would be. Uh, and hex. Oh, oh boy, this is going to get ugly, guys. So I don't have my other <laughs> figuring out where the. <laughs> Never mind. We're going to leave it the way it is. The there demonstration will still be valid. The end um, sign still is shift six on the Coco. <laughs> shift six. Sh oh, shift six. I already. Yeah. I went back. Yeah. I'm not going to. I'm not going to bloody fine. that up anymore. Yeah, <laughs> All right. So if we run this, we'll see the dramatic difference in speed. Essentially doing the same thing between yeah. what assembly was doing. That's one screen. That's another screen. Yeah, we can see it letter by letter, whereas before it was already on Z by the yeah, time we were the, eyes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So that was just a demonstration I came up with showing, uh, you know, kind of demonstrating the same thing, but with the speed difference you're going to see based on, uh, you know, not having to interpret everything. So, um, so I think that was pretty much as much as I wanted to cover today, unless you guys have any questions or comments beyond that. 
Um, I, I would mention, like we were talking about the the fact that your, your original machine language run is running so fast that you don't even see it updating the screen because it's waiting for the refresh. Uh, on the debug window, there's that beam Y, beam X, and that shows where your raster gun is X is across on the current mm-hmm. line mm-hmm. and Y is how many lines down. So you could actually single step through it and actually figure out, okay, it's on line 91, 92, 93, and once it gets to the bottom, then you can actually see when the refresh is going to happen. So you can actually kind of figure out, you know, how fast is my routine working? How many refreshes of the screen have I actually done before the screen itself actually gets ah. updated every one sixtieth of a second? Gotcha. That's, that's, that's yeah. That makes a lot of sense. In your assembly file, you can actually count it. If you, um, you, you know, you listed to the DOS prompt. You listed, mm-hmm. you listed your file to the DOS prompt. Right. If you actually used a a a um, greater than sign and piped it into a file like a list file, and you put an option sixty eight oh nine option CD into your into the start of your assembly code, you could get the you could get the cycle counts for, and you could say, okay, how many iterations am I doing? How many well, cycles I think, am I taking? I think. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Nick. I think if um, Simon. Oh, Simon. Sorry, sound like Nick. <laughs> oh, they're, all, they're all foreigners. They yeah, all that, you know, if you, <laughs> I, I, I can barely, I can barely do southern southern dialect, let alone uh, other ones. So. <laughs> I want to confuse you, eh? Boy, daddy, behave yourself. <laughs> let me. Uh, I think I thought that the uh, output from this does give us that. Let me see if I'm wrong about that or not. But I thought it, I thought that it would do that. So let me try, uh, try this quick and see if it gives me what I'm thinking or not. Dot. Oop, not dot. Yeah, you're listening to the screen, okay? Right, but doesn't uh, you're listening straight to the screen? You can actually list that to a file if you wanted to. If you wanted to look at it later. Yep, yep. I'm, I follow what you say. Yeah, using the uh, carrot for for redirecting the output. Yep, yeah, I, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In, Excellent. In the, beginning, in the beginning of your assembly file, mm-hmm. right before the org. Mm-hmm. Put in OPT 6809. Hang on a second. Let me get this guy open. Just, uh, yeah, OPT 6809, which defaults to the 6809 processor. Mm-hmm. And then underneath it, an OPT CD, which is cycle counts. Okay. So if you have a look at that, if you assemble that, you'll see cycle counts in, in square parentheses. You should do. Hmm. <laughs> so while you're doing that, I do have a dumb question that I think I know the answer to. Oh, there it is. Do. Yeah, there you go. That's uh, what you're talking about. I, I just didn't assemble for me. I didn't realize it. So this is actual cycle counts of each instruction. Those are cycle counts, yes. So you can actually count your way out of it. So, okay, how many cycles have we got in this loop? Gotcha. Right? Yep, yep. Excellent. You've got 57 cycles per scan line. Gotcha. Cool. Is, is there much benefit to using this debugger if you're writing stuff in BASIC? Nah, not really. Not unless you're trying to debug BASIC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, if you're, or if you're really interested in how it's changing your video memory, maybe. Yeah. But that's yeah. as much as I can think of. If, if you're going to start using fancier basic commands like varptar or something, which is you know to access the variables directly, you can kind of use that with watch points and stuff and kind of see how the basic variables 
your little five byte floating point numbers and stuff are changing, but right. generally no. Tron and trough in basic are basically the equivalent of the basic debugger. Okay. Trace on, trace off, like Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very cool. No, that's great. Uh, you know, I am still not quite fully assembly aware yet, but it's interesting stuff, and it's great that we have a few other people here on the call who are much more assembly aware that can also create some value-added stuff. Yeah, um, absolutely, yeah. Well, that was part of the reason I wanted to do it in the first place was just to get uh, – I, I knew that there would be people on the call that are much more assembly able than I, so I could learn a couple of things by well. So. Very no, cool. the debugger is a hugely useful tool so when you're doing assembly or even trying to just figure out how the language underneath works, whether you're in a Nitrous 9 or you're in BASIC. If you want to see what the BASIC ROM is doing when it's executing certain commands, you can actually trace through and single step through that. Yep. So, uh, obviously, what some of the stuff we're seeing here, because we're doing an emulator, we're seeing information outside of the computer. So, this is one of the benefits of using modern technology to do a vintage project. If this was being done on actual Cocoa hardware, what visibility do you have and what vi what debugging capabilities do you have on traditional old school assembly and and uh, stuff like well, that? Well, if, if you're talking about just the Cocoa itself, you have basically none. Um, as far as assembly goes, now if you get, <laughs> I mean, guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's really pretty much the way it is. There's none. Um, but my understanding, like if you get and use the um, the EDTASM cartridge, you get some debugging, you get um, registers and yeah. that sort of thing. But it's nowhere near anything like you're going to get with you know using a cross development sort of option like this. Actually, you can get a lot out of you can get a lot out of Zbug, a hell of a lot. Oh, Z yeah, that's true. Zbug, yeah, yeah right. Yep. Which is you can, of, you can set up things like software interrupts so you can actually have it, you know, step through and pause and dump registers and, and memory you locations can, yourself. You can set breakpoints. You can look at memory. You can look at ASCII. You can look at bytes. You can look at worlds. You can look at mnemonics. You can change memory. Well, when, you, when you say you can look at it, though, what? how is it visually represented on the screen? It's probably nowhere near as elegant as what we're looking here in MAME, though, right? No, it's visually represented as single bytes. If you if you fire up Zbug in, say, XRAW or something, if you've got XRAW and you've got a Zbug or it's assembly cartridge, you can fire it up in two seconds, and we can have a look at that. You can see bytes, words, you can see... Um, potential strings of memory you can look at registers you can single step you can set breakpoints you can yank breakpoints um, I mean it was probably the best thing that was available obviously at at the time um, but I mean as far as what Steve is saying to his point I think the uh, the display of it is obviously um, it's clunky it's clunky compared right. to what we have today right yeah hey everybody this is Bill Noble co-author of Nitrous 9, you are listening to Cocoa Talk Live, the leading live Cocoa Talk show. Something new is coming. Tandy Assembly. Tandy Assembly is about Radio Shack and Tandy Computers. Tandy Assembly is about interacting. Tandy Assembly is about people. Tandy Assembly is about fun. The first gathering of its kind. Computers of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. All Radio Shack and Tandy makes and models. Join, Join us. us. Don't miss Tandy Assembly. In Chillicothe, Ohio. October 7th and 8th. Whether you're near or far. 
Tandy Assembly is for everyone. Visit our webpage at www.tandyassembly.com. Tandy Assembly. So I'm thinking two steps ahead here, but one of the discussions we had a little while ago was this cocoa pack cartridge that lets you connect a second monitor to your cocoa. Mm-hmm. Word pack commuter. Word pack or something like that. Yeah, where you had the second like uh, composite monochrome output to your cocoa. Yeah, you could technically, if, if you have a little driver for ZBug or ZBug or, or if you wrote your own, have it dump stuff out to that screen while your main Cocoa display so is you doing could whatever you're doing. get like a real-time debugging of while things are running. Yeah. I do that yeah. in OSI all the time because I tell it to DMEM, which is a command to dump memory from another process, and have it just dump it out to another window. So I can just switch windows and see what it's doing. Interesting. No, that's cool. It's uh, I mean, even though I don't speak the language of assembly, I do see the value of being able to visualize what you're trying to do uh, as a development and troubleshooting tool. And there's quirky little things you can do depending on what type of debugging you're doing. Like I know one that Nick and I have both used on the Cocoa 3 stuff is if we're trying to like track an IRQ routine because that's notoriously hard because all of a sudden the code just jumps off in the middle of nowhere under mm-hmm. you know hardware control because a, a horizontal sync interrupt or something happened. Sorry, can I uh, interject for, for a second that you mentioned that I was thinking about? How does how would an IRQ in a program fire without an ex, some kind of external stimulus? stimulus? Doesn't it have to have something that's going to stimulate that IRQ to make it fire? Yes, yes. you've got two sources, or, or potentially, it depends if it's Cuco 2 or Cuco 3. Um, Cuco 2, potentially two sources you can program, which is the horizontal and the vertical IRQ. Um the cartridge IRQ is wired to FIRQ, so is the RS-232. Okay. Uh, but I'm saying they would all have to be on real hardware. Like you, I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is can you simulate that in, like, MAME to have it fire an IRQ in MAME? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And a software interrupt kind of works the same. So even on a real Cocoa, if you wanted to try it, you could, if you want to fake a hardware interrupt, you can just have a software interrupt that jumps to the same routine. Mm-hmm. And you can just interject it somewhere if you want to see what's what would happen if, if an IRQ fired off at this particular time. Actually, about software interrupts, Curtis, when, when we're on that point, um, is there no difference between SWI, SWI 1, 2, and 3? Uh, basically, the only thing that's really different is that they have different vectors, obviously. They, they go to different, three different locations. What about, um, and then also the priority order between them is different. What about register pushes? Uh, they're all full full interrupts. They're not fast IRQs. Right. So it's potentially just the same as an a mini. Uh, sorry, a normal IRQ. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My understanding with the SWIs is that I guess they were in, they had intentions of like the SWI one was meant for like the OS. SI, SWI two is meant for like um, like a uh, an application level, and then three was meant for a user level, but I'm not sure that they ever really get used. A, that a lot of the debuggers actually use SW or uh, the software IRQs to do their single stepping because basically it'll do is it'll take whatever code you're about to run, copy to a little temporary buffer of like 10 bytes, and then mm-hmm. add, add an SWI software interrupt after that. Yeah, that's so what basically just run an instruction at a time and then immediately trigger off and run off and you know print to the screen or whatever your debugger is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what Zedbug does. Yeah, hmm. and OS nine itself, all of its system calls are SWI two calls. Okay, so it's used extensively there. But there's other little tricks too. I mean, like like I was mentioning earlier, like Nick and I have both used this. Where on a Cocoa three, 
if you want to try to track something down and, and see if your code's hitting certain spots, but you don't want to dump out every byte or have a second screen going or something, or your screen's used up and you can't display anything, is that you just do things like, you know, change the horizontal border color. And you yeah. change it, you know, it's going to be blue if it got this far in the code, and it's going to turn green if it got this far, and it's going to turn red if it's over here. And then if your program is hanging, you can go, okay, it went to green, and now it isn't changing colors anymore. So I know my code's stuck somewhere in this chunk. Mm. Hmm. I use the same. I use the same mechanism for timing for seeing. Okay, how how long does a routine actually take? Yeah, you change your border color. You can watch it going up and down. Yeah, Nick uh, does that uh, too. Looking at how long the routine takes. Yeah, you can even do that to a limited extent on the Coca One and Two. Like if you have a game you're writing and it's in you know the white black color set of P Mode Four, you can have your code change it to a green, and change it to P Mode yeah. Three or something at certain spots and figure out okay, it's got this far. Yeah, not this far. Yeah, I like anything that can help you visually know what's going on in the middle of something, you know? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And that changing the border color for timing that Simon's mentioned, I mean, I mean, Nick uses that extensively, Simon uses it extensively, I used to use it extensively too, especially with GraphDriv. And it, it's really handy because you can see exactly, like, it's almost like getting the cycle counts in a, a rather more coarse way, but you're actually seeing, you know, this routine's taking this much time out of a vertical sync of a 60th of a second and this one's taking much less or whatever so you can use it to optimize your routine see whether it's faster doesn't that though doesn't that mess up your timing in and of itself by having that additional code in there or is it you remove it and then retime everything or how does that process go? you use it for relative timing like if i say i'm trying to figure out which of these two versions of this routine would be better or faster Mm -hmm. but i don't want to sit there and figure out the cycle counts you can just do both and then just have it draw the border Changing oh, okay. color. If it goes further down, that was slower, and if it stays back up, it's faster. Gotcha. Potentially, what you do is, if you if you say have um, buff buff and uh, black color set at the beginning of the vertical sync, you change it to uh, a green black. Uh, uh, run your routine, and as soon as your routine's done, um, you change it back to the buff black. So. It's measuring it kind of like up and down from from the top of the screen. You can see, okay, it's taking this much time. Right. Yeah. You just put a video up, I think, demonstrating that, didn't you? Yes, I did on Facebook. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. This was a good little uh, presentation. Very nice. Indeed, it was. It was so good, it kept David Ladd's mouth shut the entire time. So. <laughs> shut up, Steve. Shut up. You can take that and go to the bank. <laughs> Unfortunately, it didn't work on Steve. I don't know Steve, why but... I put up with you. With you. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch screens now. If you want to turn off your screen sharing if you're done, Jay. Yep, I will do that. I'm going to switch over now and look at a couple other things, and we'll we'll move the conversation to a few other topics because I did notice that there is an update to the Tandy Assembly website, so I thought it would be nice to um, show some of that. Hey, this is Bruce Moore, author of Force of Doom, and you're watching the original gamer Stevie Strobe.
so let me get over here get to my computer all right can you guys see me okay mm -hmm. you see the screen okay yeah all right so here's the latest tandy assembly w uh, website and when you click on exhibitors now they have now shown who some of the exhibitors who are going to be at tandy assembly now so they've got me in here Mike Rowan is going to be here. Richard Lorbieski is going to be here. He's been on several of our Coco Talks. Uh, Peter and Alex Satinsky. So I think that's Peter Satinsky's son, Peter from the TRS-80 Trash Talkers podcast. Cloud9 is going to be here. This was the question, I think, Grant. Grant, are you in the call still? Yes, I am. Okay, I think Grant had asked a question last week. Does anybody know if Cloud9 is going to be here? It was revealed both on the podcast, and it's now revealed here on the website that Cloud9 will be here. And so for those of you not aware, Cloud9 is possibly the only company, so to speak, that's selling hardware. Of course, you have, you know, Ed Snyder and John Strong and stuff, but this is Mark Marlett and Sandy Weimer. And uh, if you've seen any of our videos from CocoFest, you know that uh, not only does Cloud9 have a lot of new hardware you can buy, like flash cartridges and VGA adapters and uh, AT keyboard adapters, but they also sell like cartridges and books and older stuff too. And the 512 key upgrade. Five, and, and yeah, and upgrades and sockets and stuff. And Mark will actually do hardware upgrades at the event. So um, what I'm hoping to do, because I have this one Coco 3 that right now I haven't had a chance to get firing up. If I can't get it to fire up on my own, I'll bring it to Mark and see if he can't breathe life into my Coco. So that'll be kind of cool. Peter Bartlett and Malcolm Ramey from Colorado, classic TR-80s with modern upgrades. That should be Randy, Randall Kig, Randy Kindig of the uh, Floppy Days podcast and also Antic, I think, too. Does that uh, say Tandy's Lebanon? Is that Lebanon? Lebanon. Yeah, Lebanon, yeah, Lebanon Indiana. Indiana. I've driven through. Indiana. Yeah. I was going to say because I, I live real close to Lebanon, Pennsylvania. I'm like, wow, I didn't know anybody. But no, yeah. it's India. Okay. Okay, so he's going to show Tandy portable computers through the year. So probably starting on like the pocket computer going up to some of the laptop-esque type devices. And then Retro Innovations, who is Jim Brain. So um, these are some exhibitors that have signed up already. That's pretty good. Um, our speaker lineup is about the same right now. Scott Adams, uh, Venture International, Don French, the TRS-80 <laughs> story, Lance Miklas. Um, we have special panels and events 7 p.m. So this is a new... This is a new uh, lineup for the Saturday. So special. So they're talking about a 5 to 7 p.m. break, and at 7 p.m. special panels and events. So um, more to come, but that's kind of cool that Tandy Assembly is coming along right now. Um, we, we, we mentioned earlier that there's some things going on on Facebook. I think one of the things I want to look for real quick here, too, is this is um, Bruce Moore now showing us possibly one of the first videos that we'll see of uh, the, the game he's working on right now, Forest of Doom. And I know, Simon, you've been helping him out a little bit with this, right? Yeah, he stepped away for a bit. Okay. So, yeah, so we're seeing um, one of the first video clips of Forest of Doom, which is a project that Bruce has been working on. This was this project was first announced officially at Coco Fest this year. So this is a... a Grab a text adventure game 30 years in the making right now. Um, so that's kind of cool. There's me spamming Coco Talk on Facebook. Um, Coco Pie running great. So Alexa Tilbrook has got a Coco Pie up and running. This is one of the Ron Klein projects. Um, and so, yeah, I think I, I'm 
really wanting to get me a cocoa pie going here pretty soon. So that's yeah, pretty you guys, cool. Uh, can, I, can I jump in here? Sure, of course. Haven't you guys, um, is it Chris Hawks, I believe? Remember he had put out, uh, I don't know, say some time around Cocoa Fest about a, uh, and I guess it was a pass-through adapter for the keyboard so you could actually put a pie inside of a Cocoa. Is that, did that get anywhere? I haven't really heard much. I was wondering if anybody uh, knew where yes. that's at. Yeah, that was, uh, that was just recently officially announced that he does have this um, it's a cocoa. So it takes the Mylar connection. It passes through. It'll let you plug it into a Raspberry Pi, and then it right. goes back. Um, and so, yeah. So it's basically kind of like a Cocoa Three to USB adapter. Right. You can right. Plug it into a, uh, a Raspberry Pi and put that inside your Cocoa Three case. Excellent. Yeah, I'm really uh, thinking about working on one of those. That sounds interesting. Yeah. So what else is going on in Facebook this week? Okay, so we got somebody who says, I just got something from my parents' home. He's got a, a 64K Tandy Color Computer 2. That's kind of cool. I like. I thought this demonstration here was pretty cool that Bill Pierce put on their group showing a, uh, an OS9 um, maze program that not only did it automatically generate the maze, but then it solved the maze too, and it did it yeah. very quickly. So that's that's an old this, program. That's been around for decades. Now, is that in um, Basic 09 or is that Assembly? No, that was in C. That was in C. Okay. So the fact that this thing could generate this maze and then solve the maze, and you can kind of watch it trace its steps and retrace its steps, it's very cool just watching the computer think and see how quickly that computer can think. Um, it's really neat watching it get stuck. And then um, so because it doesn't have... It's because it's not like us with a pair of eyes that can see the whole maze. It's got to try each turn until it reaches a dead end and, and come back. But it's kind of cool, like computer learning, almost like a little bit like what Boise is doing. Um, it would be if you were in the maze, you know, because you don't have the bird's eye right, view. Yeah, if you're in the maze, you don't have that uh, bird's eye view, right? So, so it's a first-person view. Very. B true. Bill and I used to use this as a screensaver at work if we weren't working on anything. We just yeah. switch to this window and let it run for a bit while we're running printers or whatever. Yeah, it's really cool looking. I was, I was quite impressed with that. Um, somebody put up a thing on Facebook here about how there's a, 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 a video of Nirvana playing at a Radio Shack in the 80s. <laughs> you know, f <laughs> footage surfaces of Nirvana playing Radio Shack in 1988. How cool would that have been? Nobody knew who Nirvana was back then. It's like, who is that crazy guy with the long hair, right? So um, here's Mateo's uh, computer that uh, Mark sent to him. So that's kind of cool. I'm not sure what. Oh, this. I think this is the SCART cable that Bruce Moore got. And I know this is something that Richard was working on. Richard took Barry Nelson's design for the SCART cable and created some type of uh, RGB to SCART to HDMI thing where you can plug a Cocoa 3 into a modern a modern television. So I, th I, I think that's Bruce getting his in the mail. So his little um, bundle of joy arrived. Here's the demo that you were just talking about that Simon created showing how you can change the screen um, the the kind of the colors on the screen right now we can see the green line here kind of going down yeah and that means running. it's running slower so basically if you see if the triangle is really small it doesn't have much to draw and calculate it's not putting too much green because it's going really quick and okay. the bigger it's getting and the more complicated then the more cpu time it's taking as it goes down so this is a way to visualize your code and how many cycles it's taking yeah that's pretty cool it's also just cool that you can mix the colors on screen, which is something that, you know, if you don't 
understand hardware and assembly, this is almost like sorcery. Like, oh my god, how are we doing this? Because oh, you can mix that. the text modes, multiple graphics modes, all kinds of things in the screen once. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's a really cool. I do thing. understand these things, and it's like sorcery. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Adams chimes in. He, Actually, if you've ever also... seen music at two, it uses that technique because it has a little text on the top, and then yeah. or sorry, graphics on the top of camera, which order it is. But it basically splits the screen half in graphics, half in text. You can yeah. actually do that across the screen as well if you want to. Yeah, that's so a bit more timing intense. It's a bit harder, yes, but you can. Yeah, and this question came up, which was I thought was interesting because this is our color computer deluxe joystick, right? And well, they were made by a company called Kraft, K-R-A-F-T. And Kraft made this joystick for IBM PCs, IBM PC Juniors. They made them for um, uh, the Coco and for the Tandy 1000. And so this actual joystick design was used on a lot of different systems. It's familiar to us, but it is, um, you know, it was actually a third-party kind of design. And I just thought that was interesting that we can see this same package with many different faceplates on it, you know? Yeah. This isn't the same craft that makes craft dinner, is it? Craft uh, macaroni and cheese? It could be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Three yeah. the joystick. Right. Now, I think there are some differences in how the X and Y coordinates are transmitted out on the different versions. Like on the Coco, I've heard them talk about how it's a voltage change potometer. And on other ones, it's a different way to send out the information. So I think the s electrical signaling may be different on the PC version versus the Cocoa version. But the actual physical stick and, and the plastic box it comes in are all the same, you know. Yeah. Greetings, YouTubers. Atari Leaf here, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Christmas is about families. And so is this computer, the Tandy 2500 RSX from Radio Shack. For the incredible price of $799.95, you get a 386SX 25MHz processor with 24 built-in programs for budgeting, word processing, and home education. With the power to run PC-compatible software, made in America by American families. Christmas, families, and the Tandy 2500 RSX, they go together. From Radio Shack, your Christmas electronics store. So that was kind of cool. Um, so what else is going on this week with everybody in the call that you guys want to talk about? Let me see while we're thinking about that. What's going on in the mailing list? Was there anything uh, hot or just interesting going on in the mailing list this week? Because some of these topics I don't even understand. So um, how to compile MAME on a Win32 system came up. Pac-Man 1.01. That was pretty cool. Like the day after we, we demoed Pac-Man, he had already released an update. Is, Nick, are you here? Yeah. You you want to speak to what some of the stuff that had to be changed or just a minor tweak that had to happen with the Pac-Man? Yeah, well, the only thing I suggested um, to Glenn was that I noticed he had the um, the well-known Color Computer 3 sparklies problem where you see the little colored dots appearing over the screen. So I, I was just wondering, is he aware of the sparklies? So I sent him an email saying, you know, what it is and how to get around it and he did it pretty well straight away and it worked and hence you saw version 1.01 the day after um there was a few other things i suggested as well some aspects of the game where it flickered a little bit and all that but um he he was feeling a bit burned out from the whole 
oh, Pac-Man yeah. thing. He said, look, I'll leave that for another time. But he fixed sure. the sparks quite easily, and it makes the overall look of the game much uh, much better and even more professional than what it what, what it is. Yeah, because the emulators don't actually do the sparkly, so if you're testing solely ah. on emulators, you'll never see it. Okay. Ah, that's right. You my and question. that's what I figured. I figured he was he'd never seen it because he he was using a uh, emulator. So, so that's one downside to an emulator is not seeing some the anomaly parts. that might only be pre present on real hardware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard to emulate anomalies in some cases, I guess. Mm -hmm. very cool very cool and grant i know earlier in uh when you chimed in you mentioned you got a coco 3 yes i finally got it all set up and it's up and running now you got your coco 3 yet yeah. <laughs> so are you but, playing uh, and getting it upgraded at uh the tandy assembly show there yeah, yeah. actually that's what i was going to ask you guys um because uh, steve and i were talking about this i'm definitely going to do the 512 but uh what other upgrades should i do i mean should we should I do the protector and the uh, keyboard updates, or what do you guys think about that? If you're going to get a 6 through 9, I would definitely get the protector because it'll help protect the chip. And the 6 through 9, if I remember correctly, is a little bit more susceptible to static shocks than the 6809. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, uh, so definitely definitely do the chip upgrade and the protector, correct? And the 512, of course. Yeah. I would think so because the 6309 is like uh, HMOS instead of uh, CMOS. Another yeah. level of... Uh, Electronics. Okay. Okay. And get yourself a Coco SDC. Yes, if you don't already have one. Yes, I already have one. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we're we're definitely glad to see some Cocos staying out of landfills and and making their way around to the community. Especially Coco, they're rare as hen's teeth for a lot of people. Unfortunately, are really overpriced. And I got a question uh, for Curtis here as well, because um, you're not going to like this, Steve. It's an OS 9 question. <laughs> hey, Nick, hang up now. Hang on. Hang on. I'll just mute. I'll take out my <laughs> headphones. <laughs> no, it's a very simple question. Um, I noticed when I was uh, messing around with some of the Coco 3 games, how do I start some of the OS 9 games like uh, Space Quest and uh, the Sierra games? Okay, the Sierra games, first of all, require 512K, so if you don't have that, you can't. How oh, darned. <laughs> you have to wait till the assembly. Most of them have instructions built in. I mean, you type DOS and it originally to boot the disk image and it'll boot into OS 9. And then uh, the Sierra games usually use uh, Sierra and you can type dash R if you have an RGB monitor to default to RGB. Otherwise, it defaults to composite. Okay, great. Doesn't it prompt you? I think it does tell you on screen on the Sierra games. Yeah. And some then some, some, some games auto, ex auto execute it. The reason they didn't do that with. Uh, the Sierra ones is because there's two options you could do. You can do no multitasking with a dash M, which skips a lot of the sound because it actually shuts IRQs off, um, or or the RGB you know override from composite. They didn't build in a prompt like say Rescue and Fractals or Chrome Rift did. Okay, great. So yeah, when I get the uh, 512, then I will definitely yeah. give that a try. Yeah, all the Sierra um, adventure color adventure games all require 512. Cool. Okay, Steve, that was the only question I had about OS 9, so you can unmute now. <laughs> I'm just surprised Nick knew something about firing up an OS 9 game. I was impressed. <laughs> <laughs> For how long? Apparently, he's dabbled with it before. <laughs> right. 
now. Oh, he's been dabbling. Ooh. So, so Jay gave us an insight to how he wants to um, develop, which is using LW tools and um, cro- yeah. what is that called? Cross development, where you're using. Yeah, I mean, computer. I guess uh, now, now that you brought that up. I was wondering, like, do you guys? What does everybody? I mean, I know Nick. He tends to be, I guess, like an actual hardware uh, programmer guy, and you're that way also, Curtis. I just, just, just used to my workflow for thirty years, so I just. I, I have I have done some using the cross assembler tools and stuff too, but to be honest, it, it's too fast. Like when I'm doing OS nine development, I usually have a window with my source code, and I have a window that does the assembly, and I have another window for the actual running the tests. So while I'm assembling something, I'll start going through the next chunk of the code and figuring out what I'm going to do next after I finish testing it. So right. my workflow is I kind of like multitask that way while it's running, and it, if it just goes blank, then I don't. I, it just doesn't flow for as smoothly for me. It does take me a lot longer than it would using a cross assembler but it's just what i got used to and nick's just old-fashioned yeah he, it sounds better than just dumb <laughs> oh <laughs> that's just wrong shot fired <laughs> no 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 yeah i think he's got it wrong i was talking about myself <laughs> And can you teach an old dog new tricks? Is I think is what he's trying to say. That's it. <laughs> okay, uh, David Orange Fire Simon's in the chat, and he wants to see a Drencore face reveal. So, uh, well, you see a picture of him up there. He's a the guy with the sunglasses. Um, but yeah, and, and lack of hair. <laughs> <laughs> wow! I oh, shouldn't gosh. have said that. Out loud. Thanks a lot, Mark. Shots fired. <laughs> What's what's happening is there's so much brain activity going on in that head of his it just burns it off. Yeah, <laughs> us Neanderthals are a little bit more shaggy. <laughs> watch it out! Watch out, Steve. Yeah, I gave you a compliment, David. I even help. Yeah. So have you? Have actually, you, uh, actually, I'm not used to compliments. So. Yeah. Okay, have, have you, you have a point. Have you further hacked the boundaries of floppy tracks and sectors in the virtual realm? Mm, no, I've been kind of busy on the realm. <laughs> Otherwise, in Coco stuff, there's nothing else going on. Right. Yeah, it's so, up to this this evil world called Minecraft, and uh... yeah, well, you know, it's it's interesting that you know that's my other obsession besides old stuff, but. Um, we have a bunch of people from the color computer community that also join. Hey, Glenn Hewlett is here. Um, Sock, Sockmaster says, I can't le- learn new tricks either. That's why I stick to ancient computers. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so. No, he David, just invents the new tricks. Yeah, yeah, David joined us in Minecraft like a year ago. We got um, uh, Fedor. Fedor joined us, who's uh, Simon's neighbor, and uh, Simon Jonas's neighbor out there in Denmark. So Fedor joined us with some of his kids. Um, we recently got Bruce Moore's son, Jacob, to join us, and then uh, Mark just joined us. So we've got like a half a dozen Cocoa people now playing Minecraft together. So You know the other thing that's crazy about Minecraft, too, that I, because I, I play it probably just like you know, most people do, but I know when I, my kid first showed me the game, I'm like, this game has no legs. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to, like, what do you do in this thing? And I still play it to this day. Yeah. It's, it's like it's Seinfeld. Just, it's a game about nothing. It is, yeah. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the Coco port. Yeah, yeah good luck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that'd be neat. Legos, whatever you want to do. 
right, 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 right. So that's cool stuff. Uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to Tandy Assembly. That's our mid-year uh, get-together. Um, what else? Those of you who have some projects, uh, some coals in the fire, anything you want to share with us on project updates? Nick? <laughs> no. Do you want to hear from me? Yeah, anybody. Yeah. I've been very busy this week, so I haven't got anything to announce. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Same oh, busy on non-cocoa stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Okay. So, Rick, you so had while to... I was on, while I was on my vacation, uh, I added uh, the the last sort of gameplay element to uh, Bomb Threat, uh, which was uh, the random bombs showing up. So I added that, you know, while in some hotel out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> but then, since I've got back from vacation, I haven't done anything other than one attempt to, to uh, write the scoring sound. And I am not good at sound routines. So I've made like about three or four attempts to write that scoring routine uh, to sound like the original game sounded. And I've been failing so far. So I think I'm going to try one more time, and then I'm going to give up. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Are you still playing on crowdsourcing that to see if anybody else can come up with something similar? Uh, yeah, I, I'm sure that, that somebody can. Uh, so yeah, I, I may do, I, I may I may need to do to do that. When I say that I'm going to give up, I'm, I, I mean that I'm going to give up and, and do that. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not giving up completely, just turning right. it over. Yeah. It's like I'll say, oh, look, I can't do this. So, uh, and, and a lot of times back in the day. Uh, when I needed a sound routine, I had friends that would do them for me. Like, uh, if you look at the source of Shanghai, uh, a lot of the sound routines were like, okay, this one was donated by this person or that person. Uh, one of them, uh, I wrote myself, and I was rather proud of that. So, uh, <laughs> but but that's, that's usually how that went. So I remember that... So we have the, the gameplay video. And so you can listen to that. You can go, okay, when, this, when it's doing the scoring and it's adding up the score, it's got this doo-doo-doo sound, uh, which is, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, a fixed volume, and it starts at a high pitch and goes to a low pitch. So that's pretty easy, except not for me. <laughs> So, you know, so it's just a matter of I've got a sound in there now, which sounds quite reasonable, uh, but it's like the chime sound from Shanghai, because I just stole it out of there. But uh, uh, I'd kind of like for it to sound like uh, it originally sounded, because, you know, this is sort of an attempt to get, get the, the game back that I lost. So in the gameplay video, you can hear what it sounds like, and then, you know, we'll have somebody like Simon. Or somebody go, oh, I know exactly how to do that, you know. And then 15 minutes later, they'll be done and they'll give it to me, <laughs> you know. Whereas I've made about four or five tries, and it's like, well, no, that didn't work. Well, let well, let let everybody know either on Facebook or in the list or both. Uh, yeah. If, if if your last attempt has been done, and you're still not happy with it, and then uh, we'll see who else can come up with something. Right. I, I think that uh, you know, I think that people would get a kick out of doing that. Oh yeah, 
It's almost like a contest, you know, community contest. Who can you make this sound, you know? And no uh, cheating in saying, uh, you know, you have to use a Game Master card to do it. <laughs> well, I was going to say, if anything else, we could probably just play back the video and digitize the sound yeah, you from could. the video and uh, convert that to a WAV file and throw that into it. Well, that would something. be sad. <laughs> it would work, but it'd be push, sad. Push comes to shelf. Um, I'll just t let you know what my next two video uh, projects are in my in my mind, and and just technical difficulties and work schedule have not made them possible this week. But uh, I have recorded 199 color computer gameplay goodness videos, so I was thinking, what do I want to do for video number 200? Now I'm still going to do like a um, kind of a montage of my favorite moments, but I was figured for video 200, um, Glenn Hewlett's Pac-Man would be a great new coco game to show because right now it's kind of the newest game out for the coco so i was figuring i would make that video 200 now another thing that came up recently too on the facebook group was that i think it's the same guy mateo who um who uh, got the coco from mark he also won retro challenge right he running he won a retro challenge yes. and and the quote-unquote prize that he got was a copy of one of my first color computer dvds and is that a booby prize? I was going to ask you. Yeah, that. booby prize. Yeah, he came in last place, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but on the cover of that DVD is the is the artwork for Bedlam, right? And then there was a handful of people talking about Bedlam. Oh, I remember this, and I remember that, and so it started a little thread. So I thought it'd be cool to do a Bedlam video, and maybe even make it a slightly crowdsourced ones where maybe I can do a screen share and get a few of us on together, and we'll try to solve one of the random possibilities of getting out of bedlam together and make that a video. Yeah, I remember. Since. I loved that game when I was a kid. I, and I mentioned it. I played that all the time. <laughs> right. And, and the we can use the main debugger to cheat, too. Ah, no, I won't <laughs> do that. But that that, that is... Oh, Glenn just chimed in and says, I'm sick of Pac-Man. <laughs> if I eat one more dot, I'm going to puke. <laughs> um, well, um, but yeah, so it's kind of random, right? So the, the way you solve the game each time is a little bit random, which is interesting because most of your text adventure games are pretty linear. Um, and I think there's a similarity there to like the interbank incident. And that's something I've also been wanting to do a video on. And part of the challenge of doing that, because if you wanted to do it properly, is I would have to hook up a multi-pack and a speech sound cart and whole nine yards. But now that we can emulate the speech sound pack, now it's probably time to maybe do an episodic um, series of videos playing through the interbank incident. And then one of the guys who has volunteered to want to share a lot of tips and tricks too is Richard Lorbieski, who's been on a bunch of our calls. He's very familiar and very passionate of that game and he's like basically said i've looked at all the walkthroughs and i've seen all the problems with them and i could tell you how to what to do and this that and this. so it might be kind of neat to have somebody else kind of co-pilot and share some tips and tricks on that particular game because yeah. that's another pretty interesting adventure game and by the way runs an os9 <laughs> yep I, I would make one suggestion if you're going to do interbank um if, if you've got the original docs it actually tells you how to install it on a hard drive yeah so okay. use a virtual hard drive because it runs much faster and much smoother Okay, well, I'll probably lean on you for some assistance in doing that because I've never done a real or virtual hard drive before. But yeah, I actually have physical copies. I've got two physical copies of the game and the manual, so um, that'll be interesting. That goes for the Sierra games too, by the way. They yeah, run much yeah. better if hard drives too, or hard drive image on the Coco STC. Mm -hmm. 
Sockmaster says Pac-Man is going to rehab for a bit. <laughs> so, so those are those are some of my things that are going to be in the near future, as far as a couple of projects around the corner. Um, between my computer taking a crap and and Fourth of July and work schedules, I didn't have time to work on anything this week. So, uh, well, that's that's good to hear that you got some more progress, uh, Mr. Adams. We're definitely looking forward to seeing more of Bomb Threat, and definitely looking forward to. The official release when that um, when that happens. Yes. Uh, basically, I need people to play it just to go. You know, does this game suck or is it okay? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I is there anything different from the last copy that I saw? Because I don't. I'll be. I'll be happy to play that some more. I enjoyed it when uh, the preview you sent me a little while ago. Yeah. Uh, I need to update it to have it include now the, the random bombs that show up during the gameplay. Uh, and then, uh, other than uh, making the scoring sound be the real original scoring sound, there's nothing more to do. Okay. So, have you given any thought to how you want to release it yet now, too? Is it going to be just digital? Or are you going to do disc images, physical packaging, anything like that? Uh, I really don't know. Uh, I'll probably do some... I mean, do I want to do cartridges? Well, kind of. Uh, it's kind of a lot of work. I don't know if I... I really don't know. Uh, there might be a limited number of cartridges made. And then once those get out, maybe people will ask for more and we'll put together some more. I don't know. Okay. Well, I definitely count me in for a cartridge if you go that route. Um, of course. I, I think cartridge number one goes to you. <laughs> ah, I'm honored. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking about this, too, with your laptop. You know how your laptop died and you have the hard drive you had to pull out yep. from there? Yep. This this is almost like your floppies you had with the original source code for uh, Shanghai. This is the source code for Bomb Threat has been developed on that old laptop, or if I'm, or maybe it was a different right. machine. But that's the closest well, thing you have now to an original floppy, you know? Right. Well, actually, now, um, well, yeah, uh, I did. I do all my development now on my Raspberry Pi. Okay. But but for going on the road uh, during my vacation, I transferred it from the Raspberry Pi to my laptop. And then, uh, yeah, I uh, uh, worked on, that, on, on the laptop and then brought the laptop home. And once I got home from my vacation, then I killed it. Hello, this is David Ladd, and you're watching Original Gamer Stevie Stroh. Every Christmas, Santa's little helpers go shopping at Radio Shack. So, so yeah. Uh, let me let me switch gears for one second here because Glenn Hewlett just mentioned that he put a new video in Facebook. I'm going to show this video right now. Let me guys, let me know if you guys can see it here. And I don't know if there's any sound to it right now, but we're going to replay this. Uh, we're going to let it start over. We're going to refresh. So here we go. 
He's getting ready to load up something. Keyboard got him. Yeah. yeah. Now, the fact that it just loaded a screen like that just looks like a Williams arcade game to me. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's what first happens when you boot these things up. It's part of the um, self-test. Yeah. It's, and he says here, this is something I've been looking seriously into this week just for a bit of fun. Can anybody recognize it? And so, oh, Williams. Williams, right? And so Terry says, that looks to me like several Williams games power on like that. <laughs> Curtis Boyle chimed in. This looks like part of the Williams self-test. Yes. So, so it could a little, be Robotron, Defender, Joust. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a little teaser of what we might see for a future transcode product project. Um, I know it's been discussed by many people that part of this is so, some of the hard, some of the heavy lifting is done because you don't have to translate the CPU language, but you still have to now emulate graphics and sounds that um, are going to still eat up CPU cycles. So that's cool. That's cool. Very cool. Um, did anybody get a chance to do your homework assignment and finish listening to the Coco Crew podcast? I did. I did. I liked I, it. I found I found it to be surprisingly short. It was only about two hours and fifteen minutes, so I felt like I got robbed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to sleep before midnight when I heard it, so I was kind of like at a loss what to do at that point. So, <laughs> Sockmaster says that looks like TV, <laughs> like the snow pattern on the TV. <laughs> I saw somewhere that somebody put like a meme up on Facebook or something where it was a picture of like a CRT TV uh, like at a pawn shop and it says, this thing here only displays the images of the ghosts that are trapped inside it or something like that. <laughs> was the little sticker they stuck on the front That's of the it. It's the ant so. colony simulation. <laughs> also, known as a also known as a cosmic background radiation. Yeah, right. That, that's what we should be listening to if we want to hear E.T., right? So. Yeah. Uh, cool stuff, cool stuff. So, um, what, anything else we want to talk about this week, or have we beat this show to death? <laughs> I think we're good for now. It was a good talk on the Miss UI and our main UI, and uh, and also the debugger. Good, good points of things to avoid or things to do. Indeed. We got to harass David some more, so that's keeping our tradition going. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> No, nobody's completely immune from the ribbing here, so it's all in good fun. And <laughs> with the exception of David and Curtis, I have nothing but respect for everybody else here in this call. So, <laughs> good stuff. Well, let me just show you guys one more thing. I'll show you a couple of clips of this. So I don't, th I haven't really officially announced this, but I, I think it was leaked one time. So when I was at Coco Fest, I ended up recording a bunch of bumpers from a lot of you and many of you are actually in this call right now too so I, I i just added up all my bumpers and i had a i had like two or three from last year and this year i got a bunch so i'm up to 30 bumpers of people so. just saying hey this is so and so and you're watching the original gamer stevie Strow." so i've kind of put them all together and i just thought i'd maybe roll a couple of them here so we can see some members of the community um say hi and if you recognize any of these people or at the 2016 Coco Fest, and you're watching the original Gamer TV show. Hey, this is Bruce Moore, author of Force of Doom, and you're watching the original Gamer TV show. Hello, my name is Grant Reedy, and I watch the original Gamer TV show. 
Hello, this is David Ladd, and you're watching Original Gamer Stevie Stroh. Hi, this is Rick Adams, and I'm the author of Temple of Rom and Shanghai, and you are watching Original Gamer Stevie Stroh. Hi, I'm Mark Barlett with Sandy Weimer. We're from Cloud9, and you're watching the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh. Hey, I'm John Strong, the author of Bomb Squad, and you're watching the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh. Hits just keep coming, folks, but yeah, I've got... Uh... I got about 30 of those now, so I can put those in future productions. So that's kind of cool. Something I've always wanted to do. And I'm like, I, 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 I'm not the kind of person that likes to bother people. So I, especially at my first <coughs> fest, I sure. felt very reluctant to ask anybody if they wanted to do that. So I only got a few. But this time around, I figured, you know, I know a few more people and stuff. So I, I got a lot more bumpers. So that's kind of cool. It's a fun little thing for me to have. I have to say, I, we, we've actually, I've never done a bumper for you. I should actually do that the next show. Yeah. Yeah. Or I think we talked about it this last year and just it just never happened. Completely <laughs> forgot, yeah. And yeah, we got too busy us, jamming. And for some of us on Skype and stuff too, if you guys ever want to call me, you know, just we do a one on one Skype call and we can record a little bumper that way too. Be happy to do that. Um but yeah, I got Glenn. You got Glenn Hewlett, I got a bumper from him, I got a bumper from um uh who's Who's the guy who did Flooded? Yeah, Evan Wright. Um, a bunch of people, right? So it was kind of cool. Rick Adams. Uh, we got a bunch from uh, John Strong. Got a couple from Alan Huffman. So yeah, it was that was kind of a fun little thing to take all those videos and put them all together now. Um, and didn't realize how many I have. 30 bumpers is pretty good, you know? So what did Glenn say here? It says, if I don't have to translate 6809 source code, what should it be called? It's not a transcode. I guess it's an emulation, or is that, is that in this case here, is it just a port? That's a good question. If he's not if he's not I, transcoding the source code, what do you call it? Yeah, it almost sounds like it'd be more of a what you would think of as like a direct port. You know what I mean? Like uh, it would it, be the actual source code, but, but right, you're not changing the uh, the logic of it. You're just changing the uh, input outputs usually the graphics. Right. Yeah. Right. And then possibly emulation to some extent because you have to emulate the sound hardware and graphics hardware that don't really exist. Right. Um, yep. If you're doing something like a 6502, like an Apple II, which has no video and audio support versus a Commodore 64 that does, then you would have to either emulate the sound and audio or you'd have to <laughs> strip it out of the Commodore version going to the Apple and come up with something else. Right, right. Cool. But the actual game code would be pretty much the same because you got all the same registers and yeah. Yeah. So maybe we'll I'll just close with a question on what suggestions does anybody have on something for us to talk about next week? Maybe we'll plant a few seeds on something that we can discuss next week. I think it's time to do a beginner's tutorial for OS nine. Uh, you just we just lost Rick Adams. <laughs> Nick Morentes is hanging up, and the internet's crashing all over the world right now. So. <laughs> Armageddon and the zombie apocalypse are upon us. <laughs> um, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that at all. Well, we haven't really done OS nine, so yeah, it's about time. A beginner's tutorial on OS nine. Okay. Yeah, just, uh, I don't know, do we want to start with stock or nitrous, jump straight to nitrous, or? I'd say we start with stock at least, Kurt. Well, so just, we, you we bought the original to... discs, here's what you do? Is there any benefit to understanding OS 9 before you go to nitrous 9? I don't think so. 
That's what I'm saying. It would almost be worth just going right to Nitrous, right? I would think. But Plus, Nitrous what is little that I know about. And easy to get to, and there's tons of builds, etc. So. And better fixing. Yeah, well, it's faster, it's optimized, uh, bug fixed, blah, blah, blah. So. Okay, well, that's uh, I, I, if we can pull it off. Like, I'm not sure how we're going to do this. Is it going to be a screen share? Is somebody else going to host it? Do I need to run it on my computer and share it out that way? Um, we'll figure out some of the logistics. And um, if we can make it happen this week coming up, that would be great. If not, we'll get it going as soon as possible for sure. Um, I, it's something I've always had an interest in learning a little bit more about and experiencing as well. So I've seen Curtis show me some things that he's screen shared with me and some of the stuff he's done has been really impressive the, the ability to multitask and switch between programs and all kinds of stuff it is it is definitely interesting so that's a great suggestion grant yeah i hope i don't bore you or <laughs> scare everybody away yeah just no, just nick <laughs> <laughs> lesson one could be how to build a boot disk <laughs> Lesson two, where to pick up the appropriate hammer. <laughs> Lesson three, where to seek out counseling after. <laughs> uh, the rage quit. The rage quit button. So. Okay, so Glenn Hewlett says he likes the term conversion. When it comes to taking like a Williams arcade game to the Coco, he's going to call it a conversion instead of a transcode. That's a good word. Conversion. Yeah, it's uh, that's a tough one to to call too because I mean if you bought Zaxxon for the Coco they called that a conversion back in the day, and that's not the same thing because you're not, you know, using the original code you're just right, converting right. it to run. Well, so what platform. would you call Zaxxon? Is an officially licensed port of the arcade? Yeah, I guess so. The back then I think they called it a conversion, but yeah, I think, I think you're right. Um, because it's real, it's literally just rewritten to play look and play like the thing but it's not based on any of the original. original source code it's new source code that's recreating the experience of the program yeah but it did sound like steve bjork had a lot of insight to the original game from sega he did he, he did yeah. mention that he had some type of relationship and exposure to it so it wasn't like a complete outsider's abstract interpretation there's, you know, he probably had better than a lot of other people porting things, some in, some insider's knowledge on it, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, there was a lot of interesting things he was talking about, too, like how it, the Japanese people wanted it to originally be fighting against a dragon instead of a spaceship. And the American was all about outer space. Things like that. Well, didn't Super um, Zaxxon they actually put the dragon back in? Yeah, they ended up putting it. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's just kind of interesting how some of the cultural differences. Um, you know, one of the things that I remember, too, is like, you know, when the Sega Genesis game console first came out, its pack-in game was a game called Altered Beast, which was not a huge hit in the States. It was just an arcade fighting game based on Greek mythology. But... When the uh, U.S., the new CEO of Sega U.S. decided to pack in Sonic the Hedgehog with Sega, it ended up selling a lot more units because there was a built-in game that was more U.S. friendly. You know, um, the different cultural things about video games. Uh, cool stuff. So yeah, definitely OS Nine. We're, we're we are long overdue for an OS Nine show. Uh, maybe this week, and in in addition to, or possibly instead of, if we can't get to that next week, what other things is are you guys wanting to talk about or hear about in an upcoming Coco Talk? 
Hmm. I guess part of it depends on what happens over the next week. Like if you get another yeah. basic video out, we might discuss a little bit of that. Or right, yeah. Hmm. The next one I'm going to do is the play command, which uh, maybe sure. I'll get to this weekend as well. Hey, yeah, uh, maybe we should talk to Hugo DeFort and see how he's doing on his uh, <clears throat> his Coco Three game. Yeah, yeah, it'd be great if we can, if we can get him on. Let's reach out to him. Definitely. Cool. All right. Well, let's wrap up this week's Coco Talk. And definitely want to thank everybody who's been here um, from the beginning of the call and everybody who's been watching us in the live chat. Let me go back and look at the chat real quick and say hi to everybody who's been in the chat. Just so I don't forget those who have been with us. So uh, Nicole was here earlier. Mark Overholzer was here. Alan Zeister was here. Alexander Wallace from Mexico was here. John Mark Mobley. Is it Mobley or Mobley? I'm thinking, is it Mobley? Okay. Curtis and Grant were here. Um, Nick Morentis came by the chat. Richard Lorbieski was here and said he had to go. Richard Cavell was here. Uh, Sock Masters in the chat. Simon Jonason was also in the chat. Wing Campbell stopped by the chat. Uh, Orange Fire Simon stopped by. Orange Fire Simon also lives in Denmark, same area as Fedor and... Um, and um, uh, Simon Jonason, Glenn Hewlett's in the chat, Sockmaster's in the chat. All right, so I believe we've said hi to everybody in the chat. That's good. Good times. And on the call, who we have left on the call right now is Curtis and Jay, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Bill Noble, um, Nick Morentis, and Grant Leedy. Thanks, guys, for being here. No- another great week. We managed to you know, we managed to basically ad-lib another week. <laughs> just like the previous 15. Yes, like the previous 15 weeks. Just tiptoeing and tap dancing our way through a two- to four-hour show. <laughs> Excellent. It's a group meeting every week. You, know? I, you broke up on me for a second. It's like what now? It's like a user group meeting every week. You know, somebody drops yeah. by and talks about something and, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's an online user group meeting. It's a good good analogy there cool all right guys well we're signing off thank you for watching coco talk thank you everybody who was in the call thank you everybody who watched us on the internet and if you're watching us later on not live thank you for watching us later on until then coco forever have you got your coco three yet yes i know grant yes, has yes <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you next week bye-bye everybody Thanks for listening to another episode of Coco Talk. We certainly hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, why not check us out on the web at cocotalk.live, where you can watch video replays of all of our live episodes, as well as send us feedback and suggestions for the show. We'd certainly love to hear from you. Until next week, I'm the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. Keep on cocoing. Coco forever. Have a Coco day, and bye-bye, everybody. Thank you.